For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Barry Roach in the Irish Times this morning has an update on the uh, sad passing of Tim O'Sullivan. Um, and his uh, story this morning talks of the sister of Tim O'Sullivan. Uh, and we know that his body lay in his derelict house in Mallow, possibly for more than 20 years, but his sister apparently, according to Barry Roach this morning, had called to the property uh, to the property to try and find him. She was home from Australia apparently uh, and was trying to track down uh, her brother and uh, she had been told when she came to Mallow uh, that he had returned to the UK. Now, there's lots more to this story which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning, but that's just one of the latest updates there and he drills into the family and when Tim, o- Tim O'Sullivan's uh, parents moved to the UK, I think back in the uh, in the in the 1930s originally how many children in the family and things like that but it's very sad isn't it that his sister was looking for him actually came and called to the house it's so sad uh, got no response obviously uh, because he was dead he was passed away uh, and locals and, and and that's what locals thought misfortunate locals thought that he genuinely had gone back to the UK I see Holly Carnes making many of the, the papers this morning talking the abuse that she's had to put up with as a TD over the years. It's absolutely disgraceful. It's disgusting what she'd put up with. She was talking apparently on a Virgin Media television podcast called The Group Chat. But in fairness to her, she has said that if she knew now, if she knew before she got into politics, how it would have turned out, she wouldn't have done it. She says, I'm glad I didn't know about it 100% because... Um, although I don't regret going into politics, but honestly, if I'd known, probably no, I wouldn't have gone into politics. And she talks of the persistent abuse online and indeed in person. Even people showing up at her home, um, pests really, a lot of it of a sexual nature. Fellow cutting out pornographic photographs with the word Holly in the caption and sending to, sending to her. Uh, contact her on different social media channels, uh, claiming to be at her front door. Uh, she even had to put in CCTV cameras, things that she had never thought of before. And she says, if I knew the abuse I'd get, I wouldn't have become a TD. Uh, in other news this morning, of course, energy bills, even though prices are dropping, energy bills are not. And this is the story in the echo of Gary Martin, who runs Egmont stores in Churchtown and another store in Buttevant. And he recently got a bill an energy bill uh, for €13,000. And he said he knew it was coming, but it doesn't soften the blow when it actually arrives. €13,000. And I believe, if I remember reading that correctly, it was for the months of November and December. I mean, who can sustain a business um, without putting up prices? Or who can just sustain a business? Full stop. Uh, Sadly, um, more knife crime on Lee's side, which we spoke about yesterday. Now, what I can tell you with regards to the latest stabbing of another teenager in Carrigaline, the one from Monday night, uh, Matt O'Neill passed away. He died, sadly. Uh, but a 17-year-old now has been charged with assault causing harm. Um, and there's an investigation into the stabbing. Now, uh, the teenager is underage, so can't be identified. Uh, but there was no objection to the accused being uh, remanded on bail. Um, but the youth couldn't provide... There was no objection to the accused being remanded on bail, as in you know, free to go um, pending uh, the next court appearance. But apparently he couldn't provide any address because he presently wasn't welcome in his home. And now the guards have stated that the injured party um, was stabbed um, a number of times 
apparently the stab wounds resulted in him having to go uh, to Cork University Hospital for treatment. So that's the latest update in that. I can't say any more because it's obviously before the courts, but that was a 17-year-old charged with assault causing harm. Um, and then there's the story of a young man from Afghanistan who now lives in Cork, who this is another court appearance. Apparently lives in Cork. He claims that he was beaten up by his two uncles, driven to Kennedy Key in the dark, and that it was only for the intervention of an Irish woman who's on the keys at the same time that actually brought the incident uh, to an end. So that makes the echo this morning. And a case that I dealt with some time back, uh, while the courts are dealing with it, I was just referencing on the air, is the garden gnome story from Mahan. It's from St. Michael's Lawn. Uh, and, of course, the allegations are that one neighbour calls to the other neighbour's house at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, she opens the door and finds her neighbour there uh, ask, asking her if she wanted to fight. Right, And then without any warning whatsoever, she threw a garden gnome at her, striking her in the head, apparently. That then resulted in the other neighbour being taken by ambulance to Cork University Hospital for stitches and to her lip and hematoma to the forehead. I mean, it's, isn't it an awful waste of court time that people just can't get along? I mean, what in the name of God would result in what kind of a disagreement or dispute? Why would there even be disagreements and disputes with your neighbours unless you had more time on your hands than sense the result in a court break. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously these are allegations in the court and I'm quite sure that, um, you know, there's a denial of guilt there. But when you see these kind of stories in the courts and the papers, I don't know, maybe that's what court is for, for all sorts of different stories. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we're talking about um, fuel prices and cost prices to you know, energy, don't even talk about house prices because they are back to boom time. They're saying that the average house price now has reached a new record of 359,000. Uh, it's pretty much uh, climbing all of the time now. As to whether it will continue to climb, I really don't know. But if you look at a national figure of 359, they're saying the average house price in Cork is now at around 300,000. I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't think that's the case for new builds as phase after phase opens and costs go up every time the next phase opens. I wouldn't be surprised if it was anywhere in and around 350, 360, maybe 370,000. As to what's going to happen to Pascal Donna, who knows? You've got the, you know, the standards in public office now are looking into this, but as to whether we'll survive the issue of the expenses scandal or not, I don't know because the papers every day drip feed more stories. It all started with putting up election posters and who was paying for it and who was paying for the vans and then how honest and open was he answering questions in the doll but now this morning the mirror is saying that the business businessman at the center of the scandal michael stone was a director of firms that was awarded 8.7 million euro in state contracts so it goes from bad to worse and i see things going from bad to worse at rte because they just can't get everybody to pay the license fee and the mail this morning it says rte now wants a universal fee introduced so that every single household would have to pay the fee whether they have a television or not. And it's irregardless of whether you watch RTE or not. It's, you know, it's all of the channels are covered uh, by the licence fee, but it goes to RTE, if you get me. So they're pressing the government now to charge all householders, get rid of the TV licence, so to go to the source that every, probably in some form of taxation, I don't know, with the revenue handle it, uh, I suppose you know, they probably need more money that's going to spend it on washouts and failures like Toy Show, the musical. It's interesting in this commercial world we live in, many other people 
uh, have to cut their cloth by their measure, uh, particularly in entertainment and media. Uh, why shouldn't RT just stand on its own two feet? Survive, sell or close. Uh, and talking of people who are really are doing the business for RT, Tommy Tiernan, he made a joke that was racist and some people took offence. And you know what? Rightly so. He's a funny guy without having to go so far as he went. I'm not going to repeat the joke in any way, shape or form, but it was very hurtful particularly uh, to people of colour. And Emer O'Neill has now revealed, because she walked out of the show in Dublin, Tommy Tiernan's show, but apparently he has, as they say, reached out and apologised. And he has told that he won't make the joke anymore. Uh, And he said, you were right to call me out, that it was offensive. And he says, I'll make sure things like this don't happen again. Then they had a phone call and everybody's happy um, and a case of learning from it and moving on. There was a big lotto win down in Middleton, half a million. The examiner carries it this morning, Owen English. Uh, A lot of people won, 64 people in the school syndicate. They won 500,000 euro in the Euro Millions Plus. So I think that works out. And I had the figure earlier on this morning. I think it works out at about, is it eight grand each, lads? Do I see a figure when you do the maths on divide six? Seven, seven grand each, thank you. Um, so it's a lovely story of, of happy times. I hope to come back to that one a little later on. And a man who's not short of you, Bob, is Roy Keane in the mirror this morning. And they say that he has bought um, an apartment in one of Ireland's most expensive apartment developments. And why shouldn't he? It's a stone's throw from Parky Cueve? No. No, no. Christy Ring? No. The Aviva Stadium. And apparently the apartments up there range in price between 800,000 to up to 6 million. (laughs) Which one Roy bought? I do not know. And then the papers also talk of issues because we've heard of layoffs within Amazon and Meta. And now Microsoft is set to axe thousands of jobs. And it's a story that makes the mail today, which uh, obviously has got people on tender hooks in Ireland and indeed here in Cork. Um, there are other stories in the paper today. I have to go, have to go back to the, the Gary Lineker funny story because that keeps on uh, offering up more and more with regards to how the phone got into the studio and how it was activated and the porn audio uh, that was played as um, the lads were trying to do their thing and Gary Lineker was trying to um, you know, do the business uh, with his TV panellists. But the papers this morning have tracked down the prankster, a guy called Daniel Jarvo Jarvis. So I have it in the hotkey. I do, but I, I won't do it now. I'll do it a little later on this morning because there's all sorts of updates. Apparently, he, apparently he's been able to walk right into the studio, helped himself to beer in the hospitality suite, filmed himself walking around the TV set, filmed himself taping the phone to the back of the uh, the backdrop behind Lineker, and off he went. I mean, it's, uh, but, but apparently he's a serial prankster. He's been in court a few times over this kind of carry on and if you're interested in a new job Netflix are hiring a flight attendant apparently in America flight attendants typically earn fifty to $60,000 a year but the job to be a flight attendant on Netflix's um, um, Netflix's very very swanky private corporate aircraft um, the job comes with a salary of $380,000 Uh, The position advertised on their website is aimed at a candidate who can carry up to 30 pounds in weight and stand for long periods. (laughs) What's the job criteria? Can you lift 30 pounds and can you stand for long periods? Uh, We'll pay you 380 grand flying superstars and guests around the world in the Netflix jet. Uh, oh, shock and horror. Actually, you're talking about shock and horror. Did you see that story in the Star this morning regarding Bewley's, who were charging eight euro for a mug of hot chocolate, apparently, and seven euro sixty for a bun. Somebody broke down the bill. I mean, it's enough. 
It's cocoa nuts, isn't it? The price of it. Eight euro for a hot chocolate and seven euro sixty for a bun. I mean, we want to be, we want to be some hot chocolate and some bun, wouldn't it? Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Morning all, and do be aware that in some places roads are still treacherous. Somebody's texting me saying there's black ice around Dunamore, and also somebody who drives for a living as a postman says it's crazy the way some people are driving this morning that some of the roads are absolutely lethal. They're still like glass and icy and some of it's black ice, so bear that in mind. Slow down and take caution. Text 0868104106. As mentioned when I was looking at the papers this morning, Barry Roach from the uh, Irish Times, Southern Correspondent from the Irish Times, joins me by phone to update on the latest developments into the lifetimes and death of Tim O'Sullivan. And Barry joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Thanks for taking the call. And I was just talking about your copy earlier on. What we know, of course, of Tim O'Sullivan, we know him. We know who he is. We know when he bought the house in, in Mallow. We know that he suffered with mental health issues. We know that locals had thought he had moved back to the UK, but he had not. But tragically and very sadly this morning, you're saying that his sister had come looking for him some time back. Talk to us about that. Yes, Neil, I was making inquiries in Mallow and I was hearing the story there on what day was it? Tuesday, I think, but it sort of it took me some time to firm it up, as it were. Um, and I'm not sure of the date on that. I suppose to say that as well. But he has a sister... Noreen, who I was here initially, she lived in New Zealand, but it's, it's actually Australia, and she was back sometime, I gather, in the 2000s, when, I'm not sure, but she would call to the house on Beecher Street in Mallow, saw that it was um, derelict and uh, unoccupied, started talking to people on the street, neighbours there and so forth. I think she went across the pub, asked people there, and they all had the same story, that they believed he had come back to the UK and that they hadn't seen him. And... Um, she was going back via the UK. I think she may have made some inquiries there, but obviously uh, tried to find someone without any address or contact point or anything like that. It was difficult and she went back to Australia. So the family were trying to track him down. They had, lost, they had been in contact with him. They lost contact. And then, as I say, when she was back from Australia, she attempted to uh, call to the house in Mallow. And, um, so she clearly called and was, was knocking on the door. Doors, yeah, knocking on the door and no... Uh, no as I say, I'm not sure when that was my... So you don't know if that was at a period before it was boarded up or after? Yeah, well, the other question is we're not sure when it was boarded up. Uh, there seems to be some confusion about that. I was hearing initially it was boarded up as early as 2002. More recently, I'm hearing that maybe 10 to 15 years ago, but, you know, the, the numbers are sort of broad and vague. So when it actually was boarded up, and it actually was only the two windows and the letterbox were boarded up, the door wasn't, apparently. And the version I was hearing locally was that young fellas were throwing stones so somebody stepped in to border up to stop the windows being broken but when that happened we don't know okay. the council say they had no involvement in the boarding up of it um, but I'm, I'm vague or un- unsure as to when that happened so whether it was boarded up when Noreen O'Sullivan called I don't know but certainly from what I can gather it seems to have been in the decade up to 2010 that she called uh, obviously if the what Gardy are finding in terms of the contents of the fridge the butter expiry date 2001 that he was deceased around then, then obviously the poor man was there. Yeah. His remains were in there when she called, and um, it just makes it even more sad, I suppose, the fact that, you know, he wasn't forgotten by his family. They tried to track him down, but unfortunately... They, oh, I know, it is And it's understandable true. people in Mallow as well, because he was... My understanding is he was born in the UK. He was born in... Um, so he wasn't born, or he wasn't born down around Carsevine, Waterfall direction, although I no, think his parents what, were from around there, were they? Yeah, that, that's, that's the connection. He was born in, in the UK on the 29th of... Uh, 
September 1939. So around 2000, he would have been late 50s. Early, sorry, on the time that, say, presuming he died uh, sometime before 2001, uh, he would have been late 50s, type of, uh, maybe 60s, sort of. Um, so it's, in, it's more age. to say at this stage that no alarm bells would have rang about not collecting a pension because he wasn't pensionable at age. He may have been in a seat or something from the UK. You see, that's the other... Uh, I'm not sure... Well, I suppose I'm still sort of trying to establish that. Uh, was he in a seat of social welfare here? I don't know that. Uh, maybe disability loans. Uh, that's all part of the guard investigation, I suppose. And that will, I presume, feed into their findings for a coroner's court in terms of when was he last... When did he last receive or collect um, or cash or whatever... Uh, pension Disability or payment, payment and unemployment like benefits. Some of that. But, so but he was the eldest of five children born to an Irish com- com- couple in the UK. He was the eldest of five. Of course, one of his sisters, Noreen, called to the house. Um, so there was five in the family. There was pair. five. Uh, three boys and two girls uh, born to a couple and I... The father of that couple, and possibly the mother, they were from Drummond in South Kerry, between Carsevine and uh, and Waterville. They emigrated to the UK in the 1930s. He was born in 1939. Uh, he's the eldest, so the rest presumably okay. all been born in the 1940s. Uh, one of those sisters, one of his sisters, then uh, uh, Noreen, who went to Australia, but there's another sister, Maureen. She met an immigrant uh, from Drummond called Mikey Shine O'Sullivan. Um, they're known as the Shino Sullivans in Drummond because obviously there are a lot of Sullivans down there. Uh, he's from a place called Kilmacieran in Drummond. He was working with Murphy Construction in London in the 1960s and they married, uh, there was a piece in the Kerryman about their marriage, oh, sorry about Mikey Shane's uh, passing, there's a nice tribute in the Kerryman. They married on the 25th of January 1969 and two years later they moved back to Drummond so she's been down there. That's the relative that Gardy had traced and had on standby is my understanding in terms if they needed to take um, a DNA sample, if they didn't get a dental record match to identify the remains. Uh, and, uh, of course, they did have success on the dental record front. Uh, they canvassed a lot of local dentists in Mallow, and one of them, it turned out, had treated him. So he had some dental records that they were able to match uh, with what Dr. Bolster noted at the postmortem, and that's what confirmed and, uh, that was Tim O'Sullivan. And how did you determine that, because um, you did in, in the Times, that he was that Tim O'Sullivan was married himself at one stage in the UK? Yeah, I heard that from a source. Uh, I was making inquiries. Didn't have any children. The marriage broke down, and I gathered that's when he moved to Mallow. But from what I can gather, um, the family, uh, the O'Sullivans, they were all born in the UK. The connection with South Kerry is that the parents... Uh, came from there but there's no connection with Mallow so why he came to Mallow uh, and why he settled there remains, remains a bit of a mystery so far uh, maybe Gardy will find out more and we might hear more in the coming days or in the coming weeks and of course he had his struggles he was very private and he was reclusive and, and, and suffered with depression and misfortune so he was, in, he was in care as well wasn't he? I gather he was, yeah, that he, he would have spent time hospitalised. And in fact, somebody in Mallow said that to me, that, you know, most people were saying to me that they thought he'd gone to the UK, but one or two people said he'd gone to the UK or been in, was in hospital. So he obviously, it was known around locally that he had been in hospital for a period. But it's just an extraordinarily sad case in the sense, that, you know, of him falling th- through the cracks. And, it, you know, it's, as I say, everybody genuinely believed he had come back to the UK and uh, he spoke an English accent and I gather he may have been back and forth when he was living in Mallow so he just went they thought he just went back and hadn't come back to Mallow instead the poor man is um, passes away in the bedroom of his house and he's there for 20 odd years and what are the arrangements for his his burial now? 
I'm not sure on that yet. I was uh, checking with the coroner, Dr. Kennedy, and he can retain the remains for um, a number of weeks. I think it's his discretion. I mean, I've, I've, I came across this in the case of the couple from Tipperary, the English couple and the coroner there can retain, they're, they're trying to track down relatives in that case as well. So I don't think there's any pressure to, there's obviously going to be some cut-off point, but if some, nobody claims a body, then the local authority steps in and they have a plot somewhere and they pay for the funeral. Expenses. But that surely so, will right. happen, the that, family that will now. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. from what I can gather talking to people in South uh, Kerry yesterday who um, would know the, you know, Sullivan's as they're called, they're just trying to deal with it and, and absorb the sudden shock of the thing. Here you have a relative who vanishes off the face of the earth. They don't know what happens. And suddenly then they find themselves plunged into, uh, I suppose, a media storm, first of all. And, yeah. you know, when the news breaks, so how you process that. So I presume over the coming days, they'll be making contact, I presume, with the coroner, with the guardian, and some arrangements will be made. I suppose it's a question of where does, where is the man's home? Uh, I suppose the sort of ancestral links will be with South Kerry, so maybe that's where uh, he'll be uh, yeah. interred. Yeah. But it's um, that's just a sad. It's very sad for all of the of family, particularly all sad all for them. Noreen, the sister. She was back from Australia, went to the UK, wanted to find her brother, went to Mallow, knocking on the door of the house that was derelict at the time, to be told that he'd gone back to the UK when he was dead inside. It's awfully sad. Yeah, and to be fair, people in Mallow said that in good faith, genuinely believing that. Totally. I don't think anybody you know, would doubt that. Doubt that, you know. It's totally. Just, it's just, and I mean, I'm sure we said this in 12 in connection with the one in um, the couple in Tipperary. People genuinely thought they had come back to the UK as well, and they were a very private couple, and people tended to respect their wishes. Similarly with this man, it seems that people were, uh, you know, he was reclusive and nobody intruded, as it were, but unfortunately he was... Um, Okay. And the poor man had passed away and was there. You know. and, fi- and finally, do you think anything will be learned from this that we can do better? Yeah, I, was, uh, I got a call from Paddy O'Brien uh, after talking to you on whatever it was Monday. He was making a point, and I think it's a very valid case, uh, point to make. He, I think, had been in touch with the Department of Social Welfare in Sligo finding out what their process was when uh, somebody doesn't collect a pension. And they told them that after five weeks they write to the person. And he said, that really isn't sufficient. What they should be doing after five weeks, if the pension hasn't been collected, is ringing the local guard station, which seems perfectly sensible uh, response to do. You know, that if uh, it, it, a red flag comes up in their computer system saying that Neil Prendival hasn't collected his, his uh, payments, then ring the guard station. Writing to the person really doesn't sort of, if the person is... Uh, ill or whatever in trouble yeah, that in trouble, make yeah. I mean he's saying it could actually it could be a matter of life and death and it could quite quite well be I mean we've had you know as we were talking on um, Monday but we've had the two or three cases here in Cork we've had cases around the country so it would seem you know that, and that's what happened in the case in Wexford neighbours noticed uh, the light, mis- uh, light Christmas lights turned on in Alan Moore's house and Garrett's called notified the guardian, and that's what happened in um, the case in Tipperary with the Smiths. Somebody noticed the grass hadn't been cut. Gardy went and did a welfare check. So Gardy can do that and do do that, but they need to be alerted, I suppose. And if the social welfare payment isn't going through or isn't being collected, rather, after five weeks, then maybe, as Paddy says, it would be a good idea that totally. the department contact the Gardy rather than writing to the recipient and that may just prove to be more mail gathering in, a, in, the, in the hallway of somebody who's already passed away but yeah. at least we wouldn't have the situation where people are discovering remains six and seven and eight months and in this case it seems over 20 months or 20 years later so you know it would be um, I, thought, I thought that was a good idea Paddy had and uh, hopefully um, maybe politicians might could pick up on it and um, I don't know do you have a tragedy like this in the future uh, yeah. Prefer, yeah, at, least, at least that nobody's left in limbo for 20 Odd years thinking what happened to my 
Brother, uh, sister, brother, mother, or, father. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I don't know if I said this to you, I was there on Monday. Wasn't it? Yeah, was it Monday? Fancy, yeah, it was Monday. There was a couple of days in Mallow. But there was a woman um, laying flowers at the... Uh, front door. The front door, a woman called Jacqueline Gilligan from uh, uh, from Castle Magnor. And um, she said to me, I said, I was asking her, uh, was she... Uh, where was she from and she said she was from Castle Magna she was in with her daughter Caitlin and I was saying did she go in specially for this and she said no she didn't but they were, had an appointment in Mallow and she said something I'm just trying to find where I had it here now in my notes uh, she said something along the lines if I, if I can find it here bear with me uh, she said you know it's just very sad to think that he was somebody's son somebody's brother possibly maybe somebody's father here it is sorry it's someone's son maybe somebody's father who came into this world as a baby and this is how he's left it now it's just very heartbreaking to think somebody could die and be lying there for 20 years with no one noticing or missing them but you never know what goes on behind closed doors well as we know in this case he was missed his his disappearance was noted and his sister did try but it's still it's at the same time he was somebody's son he was yeah, somebody's father yeah. or somebody's brother yeah. you know Thanks, Barry, as always. Much obliged to the, for the update. Uh, Barry Road, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. And, of course, there is, will be more to this story as the Garda investigation continues and, indeed, to the inquest. Text 0868104106. Yesterday, I wasn't in a position because you're very busy schedule yesterday. She is Cork's first citizen, uh, the Lord Mayor did report. But we were talking about her proposal that there should be a knife amnesty. Now, I'd imagine a lot of this has come from the very sad news of the passing of Matt O'Neill at the age of 29. He died on the 8th of the month following that serious assault in Carrigaline at the back end of December. And we know then of another stabbing and another assault, which will also result in a court case. Um, um, this is a, a minor um, who's been, been charged from a stabbing incident down in Carrigaline on Monday night. We had another teenager being treated in Cork University Hospital for suspected stab wounds. And the Lord Mayor joins me by phone. Uh, Lord Mayor, good morning. Thank you for taking the call and my apologies for holding you. This, 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 this knife amnesty, uh, would it work? Many people are questioning how it would work. Well, the first thing is, it's one way of catching the issue. It's not the way. Um, I believe it would work because it not alone would draw attention to the issue of knives. Um, I know that in other jurisdictions it has worked and there's been a tremendous response to it. And I think it would send out the clear message to people that we are focusing on knife crime and not accepting it. This is an interim measure which would allow people to say, look, they're taking this seriously, they're giving us an amnesty, I'm going to get rid of my knife or my implement that resembles a knife, and I'm going to give it up, and let's start afresh. And when you say it's happened, it's worked in other jurisdictions, like like where? In England, uh, in the UK, it has worked there. And as a matter of fact, when they had the, uh, the amnesty over a number of areas, they collected 100,000 knives and they made a sculpture out of it, which they toured to show people how many knives were actually in circulation. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't know how many knives we have in circulation, but we can be very sure that it's much more than we realise. Yeah, okay, so it may have worked and they might have gathered 100,000 knives in the UK, but knife crime in the UK continues to rise. 
just like it does here, there's some statistics for Cork knife crime seizures, or actual knife seizures. Uh, in 2020, 172 knives were seized in Cork, compared to four years earlier, just 66. So that's a threefold increase. And these are just ones that the Guardies managed to, to actually seize. There's probably multiples of that in circulation, as we've seen in Carrigaline over the last month. Well, you know, uh, I think, to be fair, we have to have a number of issues that we need to tackle uh, to get rid of knife crime. I mean, there will always be a core group that will refuse to obey the law. But there are young people out there, I believe, who might get sucked into this whole macho thing of having a knife either to do harm with it or perhaps, you know, that they need it in self-defence. We need to start telling them this is no way to respond to such thing. It has the potential to be devastating, not alone for your future, but for the future of your families and also for whoever they might use the knife on in a moment of madness, either through drink or drugs or a row that you need to be in control of yourself at all times and say there's a better way, walk away. And the amnesty itself is one way of tackling it. Obviously, if it has worked in other jurisdictions and takes the knife out of circulation, we should also look at if young people are going into places buying knives, uh, and I think this is a proposal actually before Christmas that they would have to sign their name and address and their details. But you see, I don't want young people picking up knives. The devastating consequences. And before Christmas, I visited a victim, the Gardaí's victim uh, uh, centre in the city, and to see those victims of various crimes and the long legacy of of um, mental turmoil, if not physical turmoil, after being the victims of crime, would make a, a stone cry. So we need to be doing a number of things. I think Neil, starting with a kind of an amnesty to say all oh, to these guys out there, we're getting serious about this. We're not tolerating knives in our communities, no matter where that community is. And, uh, you know, other areas are have a worse legacy than we have, thankfully. But why should we let a few core groups uh, who intend on doing damage to ruin it for the vast majority of people of Cork? Yeah, but, but will they re- would they really? Well, like, there's typical examples to this programme constantly of characters with knives um, you know, uh, accosting other young people, looking to take their phone or, or their, their money or their runners. or they, they, They're bad pieces of work. Like they, That's what they do. Why would they suddenly have a, a change of heart and decide, well, actually, I don't want to be a thug anymore. I don't want to be, uh, you know, um, uh, somebody who goes around robbing or holding up or indeed sometimes stabbing other people. Like that, 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 that's hard to believe that they would have a change of heart like that, isn't it? Well, I, I've no doubt that some of them are on the periphery getting sucked into these hardcore guys. Yeah. They're the guys we want to target, or the girls if they're carrying them as well. Um, and obviously, we have to do other things besides the knife amnesty. But the knife amnesty will send a clear message. You have one chance. Hand up your knife now or suffer the consequences if we bring in mandatory sentencing for knife crime. 
But we do have sentencing. A lot of people yesterday were talking about that, that if there was no such thing as a suspended sentence and that anybody who was caught carrying a knife, and there should be no reason why a person who was stopped by the guardie or involved in a crime involving a knife should have the knife in public anyway, that they would get a man, abs- I think it's five years jail. That's the maximum. But yet a lot of the time it's community service or it's a suspended sentence or, you know, it's, it's, it's other circumstances taken into consideration that they should be handled in the courts. Yes. Well, what I believe is obviously as a politician um, and uh, I, I cannot interfere with the courts and as a separation of powers. But as Lord Mayor and as elected representative, what I'm hearing people saying to me is we want tougher sentencing for these crimes. We are getting fed up of the seriousness of the crimes and the effects on our society. And as I said, a few um, core group are ruining it for the, the, the vast majority. So I want to send a clear message that we need to have mandatory sentences. But if they're underage, oh. Lord Bear, I hate cutting across you, who, who do you go after yeah. then? Is it the parents? Well, you know, it, it, that would be a little bit unfair, but the parents are the primary responsible for their children. And I think, let's have the conversation. I'm not an expert on knife crime, but I certainly want to start the conversation. I want to ask uh, the powers that be to consider uh, mandatory sentencing. If the younger person gets involved in a fracas, you know, the guard will be able to size up if this person is a habitual offender or not. Like, we have to think of the victims here. Neil, you know, like if if your face is slashed or, you know, that you unfortunately lose your life, the families are left with 20, 30, maybe 40 years of a horrible, horrible memory of their loved ones. And that is the case for Cameron Blair's family. And that now is the case for Matt O'Neill's family, who both lost their lives to knives. It's, it's a tragedy. And also, I can't comment, obviously, on, on current uh, no, issues, maybe that. before the courts. But what I would be saying to young people, I, I think young people are brilliant, the vast majority. I think some of them get steered into the wrong company. And now is the time to say, look, we need to pull back from this. We have a community here uh, that we're getting serious about the way we tackle crime. We need the courts. To, to be a little bit more severe on these younger people to deter them. And I think, you know, if we have tougher sentencing for these crimes, no excuses, I think the clear message would be out there. Think before you buy and think before you use and think before you carry. But sometimes it's a kitchen knife, it's a steak knife, it's a bread knife, it's from the family home. It's not it a zombie on knife bought online. Yeah, it all depends on the intent, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, who carries a steak knife around with them? Maybe if you're, what's that guy that does all? Blair, Blair Wills, Blair Gills. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've forgotten his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you're somebody like that, obviously it's your your work, you know, but, and there are responsible people out there that have to carry implements that could be perceived as dangerous. Um, you know, but that will be as part of their work and they're established. I'm talking about younger people who may, I, I suppose, get sucked into wrong groups and it's a macho thing yeah. or, you know, they're hard men. They're not really their only boys. And we need to send out a clear message now to them. There will be an amnesty. Hand it up, move forward. We also need to look at the education around 
crime getting involved in, you know, are, are there issues that we need to be addressing through education, you know, through the HSE. There are many good groups out there trying to do their best to turn these people away from crime. Um, but unfortunately, there are a few hardened people okay. and they're just gone down the wrong road. And are you, so finally, are you saying that this, this amnesty would be like a strategically placed knife bins, is it? Yes. What they are, they're very uh, secure indeed. And they could be either placed in the Garda station or in uh, the public arena. They would be totally secure on the ground. And you can hardly get a thug walking into a Garda station to give up a knife. Like the guards would take a particular interest in that individual, wouldn't they? It would be, well, need to be anonymous. Know, no, what has happened is that they say no questions asked. The guards know these guys anyway. I think the vast majority of guards would, would know these guys, you know, unless it's a stranger rocking into town. You know, they mm. by and large know where the trouble is and they have their eye on these guys. But, you know, what is, this is a positive message. Let's have an amnesty. It's, it's one of the ways we need to tackle crime in our streets. Um, hand up your knife if you're just carrying it around to be seen to be a macho or to be part of a group gang groups are dangerous you know they can lead you down a road and get you involved and your whole life could be ruined for 10 seconds of madness and would that include machetes and slash hooks and uh, and f- f- sharp I, farm blade instruments like scythes and stuff like that that get used well we, we let's cons- let's consult with the guardi they're the some of the experts they will know what's around. I, I heard of a story where, um, you know, they, they um, melt a toothbrush and embed two blades in the toothbrush. That's called a shank, when, yeah. Is this okay? Yeah. And they splash across the face and there's a slice of your face down, can't be, you know, can't be put together really. And like you're left with that legacy. And, you know, they may, they may be young and they may go to court and they may get you know, some of their sentence suspenders. Is that appropriate for the type of crime? Let's put a clear message out there. We're getting tough on crime. Okay, Lord Mayor, thanks for taking the call this morning. Um, At least it is uh, an offering of a solution and that has to be commended as opposed to criticised or knocked out of the ballpark as unworkable. At least we're talking about it. So thank you for taking the call this morning. I do appreciate thank it. Thank you, Neil. Lord Mayor, Councillor Deirdre Ford, uh, you, you can see all sorts of videos online of these characters selling live knives and you can you can buy them. And if you're lucky enough to get them in through the country, through customs, uh, it's hunky-dory. I saw a video of one yesterday of a circular blade with a serrated edge. It was almost like, like a drill. It looked like a drill piece, except it was a sharp, sharp knife. And what was your man's selling point online? He was saying, you need to buy this knife. And he was comparing it to a standard knife and the whole or the slit that a standard knife will leave in somebody's body. He says, that's no good because that can be easily stitched in hospital. But this blade, the one that I have, leaves such a hole in the torso or the stomach or whatever that no one in any hospital will ever be able to stitch the wound. My sincerest apologies to Trish and Graham. I'll talk to them after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, somebody asked me yesterday on air about uh, community service. Does it work? What's the update on it? Does anybody get community service? And if they do it, do they actually carry out any of the community services they get instead of a custodial sentence? Well, the only, the, the most recent numbers that I could get for the amount of community service hours 
um, is from 2018's report from the Probation Service. But it's, uh, look, it looks pretty impressive because in 2018, there were 355,000 hours of community service work carried out by offenders. Uh, so 355,000 hours. Now, the amount of time that can be spent performing um, uh, community service is down to the judge. A judge can sentence somebody to perform between 40 hours and 240 hours. And that work then has to be completed within a year. You don't go to jail. Instead, you do this community service. And I suppose, depending on the seriousness of the offence, it could be as low as 40 hours or as high as 240 hours. So then I took a look at the top six offences, which made up 80% of all of the offences. Theft, drug offences, assault, public order, road traffic, and burglary. So assault is in there. You know, you're guilty of an assault, you could get community service. You're guilty of a drug offence, you can get community service. Burglary and theft and stuff like that. Public order, road traffic and burglary. And if you're looking at how, how is it, in what age groups has it increased more? You know, what age groups now are doing uh, higher numbers of community service to make up the 355,000 hours? Well, the majority of new referrals, unfortunately, are younger people, 18 to 24 and 25 to 34-year-olds. And just one or two other bits of information for you. Uh, Community service can also be imposed on people under the age of 18. There isn't a whole lot of them, about 748 young people under the age of 14, sorry, under the age of 18, were also um, forced and as opposed to, you can't send them to jails, what are you just going to do? Uh, give them community service instead. What, what I hope to do next now is to find out the types of community service, that's the types of work that's done. We know that it's unpaid work in the local community rather than spending time in behind bars. But I need now to find out what kind of community service working in the community what work is being done in the community make up the 355,000 hours of work. But your thoughts are welcome. A lot of texts on this. Uh, get our wonderful guardie on the streets. Proper sentencing if caught using a knife or even carrying one. It's a lawless society. Uh, the guardie can't use force anymore and their hands are very much tied. Uh, don't know if you want to go back to a heavy-handed tactic in this regard. And many would say more guardie, hiring more guardie, just hiring lots of them. Is the role for the army? I don't know. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Lot of texts. The the, the law is far too lenient on people who carry knives. Two people were in court last year after being caught by the guards carrying a knife. They walked free, even though they had a list of previous convictions. Two days later, my partner was attacked outside our front door and stabbed in the neck by the same people. He's lucky to be alive. More needs to be done to protect the public, and I do not think a knife box is the way to go. The only way to deal with it is to give tough, mandatory, imposed sentences to people who think it's okay to carry knives. Absolutely, over and over and over again, people are saying the leniency of the court system and that anyone carrying a knife... Worse if you use it, right? I get that. But even carrying the knife, there can be no excuse. It's the same as carrying a gun or a firearm or a sidearm. If you're not a member of Garda Shikana or you're not a member of the army, you have no business to be carrying them. Uh, Anyway, one of the things that the Lord Mayor spoke about there was comparing other jurisdictions where there were knife 
amnesties uh, and they saw 100,000 people or more uh, surrendering their knives. Um, we have a lot of people listening to us uh, overseas. Trish is in the UK and can give us a good insight into knife crime in London. Trish, good morning. Oh, yeah. So, I'm a bit quite cute. Oh, you are a bit, my dear. So let's, yeah. I, won't keep, I won't keep you too long. Just okay, make, make the points you wish to make without me, to, without me tiring you out. Um, how, ba- how bad is it? Did an amnesty improve anything? No, no. Um, I think that, that Lord Mayor, I think she's right to bring it up and not sweep it under the carpet to get people talking and give all the sorts of opinions because you don't want to end up like we are. Because you see people, I mean, everyone's seen it in the news or in the um, papers, just something like a road rage and somebody's got, they're tooled up in the car. And you have secondary schools and colleges here that have got knife arches. Knife what? They're arches. You know, like you have at an airport and if you go through and it pings, they have them in secondary schools and colleges here. So there are security scanning in schools. And there are security men at the entrances as well. So she's right to bring it up, start it now, and don't get like we are. Okay, because you were saying it's gangs. It's gang-related, is it? Yes. Oh, it is. It is. You've got the little kid who's been dragged into the gang, and they have their stuff that they need to sell for the bigger people and they need to protect themselves against you know these county lines county lines are gangs who have their own territory and they own that particular area all right so you you know london right yeah um so if you were in say tottenham and you crossed into say wood green i'm talking north london now that's a county line. It's not necessarily a county, but it's over the borough, over, out of your jurisdiction, so to speak. So if you went from Kilburn to Wilsburn... You're, you're moved from one, have you moved from one gang territory into another? That, that is exactly it, yes. Yes. Yeah. So they've got them selling at schools and... Yeah, so it's all... And it's, it's all a pickle. Yeah, these are, this is primarily knives, but it, what about guns? Do they carry oh, guns? Yeah. There was um, the boy next door, he's, he's at college now, but there was um, a kid caught in his college with a gun. He's 16, this lad is, so the boy would have been about 16, 17. That was over in Uxbridge. What happens in a case like that when it's a minor in the UK? Are they untouchable or what? What happens? I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I think there's enough juvenile detention places that... Um, because you've got, to, you've got to nip it in the bud, don't you? You've got to nip it when, it, when, when they're young and short, sharp, shock, you know, scare the crap out. But it must be very bad if up. they have security uh, at going into schools and colleges where you have to go through a scanner like an airport. Oh, it is. I mean, it, it's just it's just everything. I mean, my neighbour's Lexus was stolen off her drive Sunday night and the CCTV caught the entire thing and they were just so bloody brazen about the whole thing. It was so chilling to watch them. Mm. Mm. It's just, you, 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 it's, it's, it's frightening. And you see the difference when you travel up north. We were up north at Christmas and you see the difference from London to up there. When you say up north, where, where are you talking about? Oh, we're in northeast Lincolnshire. 
Yeah, and what's the, and what's the difference? More peaceful, oh, is it? People get on with yeah. each other. Yes. What's the problem with London then? Why has it become oh, so fractious? I, and don't, I don't know. And maybe it's because it's a city. Maybe it's because we've got a Darth mayor. And, mm, mm. you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you put it this way. I wouldn't walk up to the shops on my own after dark. And we're in a relatively safe area. Yeah, you just wouldn't take the risk. Yeah. God, no. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Not at all. Okay, all yeah. right, all right. Yeah, okay. so she's right. I think she's, she's right to get people, whether they disagree with her or agree with her, she started the conversation, and if those bins work, then good. Let me get but, some more yeah. calls on it, because I have a yeah. lot of calls and texts, but thank you. Mind yourself, look after <laughs> that voice. Take care, Trish. Jenny was a police officer in the UK for 15 years. Morning, Jenny. Hi, good morning. Okay, are you living here now in Cork? Is it? Are you in Ireland now? I am, yeah. I moved back two years ago. Okay, so you were a police officer in the UK 15 years. You were married to a yep. firearms officer, um, also in yep. the force? Correct, yeah. Okay, okay. Was there a knife crime amnesty there? Or a knife amnesty? I didn't work on that kind of neighbourhood policing side of things. I was um, rapid response. Um, and I don't remember any, but like just listening to your last caller there, um, I was based in York. Um, obviously, knife crime wasn't huge obviously you know you're you're going to stop people search them find them with knives and stuff like that but you know on a normal average working day compared to even listening to the radio here over the last few months the amount of stabbings in Cork compared to like what I would have dealt with over in York it, it is extremely high here in, in, it's extremely high in Ireland and it's extremely high in Cork well Cork I'm, I'm only specifically talking about what I've heard on the radio here um, but yeah I mean, obviously, I haven't worked as a police officer now for four or five years, but um, I, I, I understand people when they say, you know, we've got to nip it in the bud, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. But on, on the larger scale of things, it's more complex than that. And you have to look at starting right at the back um, where you go into schools, you speak to children. You have to start there because if you don't start speaking with the children and going into the schools from a young age, these young children are around it, they're seeing it, they're seeing people with knives in their pockets, they're listening to it all. And if you can nip it in the bud when they're young, you know, that will make things obviously a lot more easier. But yeah, it, you know, at the end of the day, I, I had a machete pulled on me. Um, and when while, we got while at work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was a simple little incident where somebody rung in saying a guy was shouting out the window of his house. When we've turned up to speak to him, he has come running through the house with a machete. Um, and it turned into what then obviously was a large firearms incident because he happened to have a gun in the house as well. Quite a rare a, a rare occasion, obviously, in York. But when we got him to court um, and kind of sitting watching him in the box um, and, you know, he was there on his own. He had no family with him, nobody at all. I actually felt quite sorry for him at that time. But then when I heard his defence that he was merely buttering a slice of toast with a buttering knife and that we had actually not seen a machete. Um, was a machete like, seized? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course it was, yeah. He was arrested, he was detained and arrested. Um, now, obviously, this, this gentleman, was, this young man, was, you know, had a long line of um, criminal convictions um, and he obviously did get sent down, but... You know, it's not as easy as just arresting, detaining, whatever, somebody um, in possession of a knife and they get sent to prison. It doesn't work like that. 
Um, and I was kind of, I overheard some of the conversations yesterday on the radio of, you know, some girl trying a knife pulled on them. Two girls and a knife pulled on them yeah. getting on the 208 yeah. bus. And yeah. then the bus driver then sees them and sees the, the male afterwards. Obviously, it's all about investigation, evidence, all of that. You can't just arrest somebody. He might have even had the knife on him when they detained him. So you have to get CCTV, it has to be investigated. You can't just, you know, detain them, put them into prison until you do all of that. It's yeah. not as easy as that. Yeah, 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 you know what yeah, I mean? So you yeah. have to go, you have to strip it back and go right from the start and educate children. But what about, why, why, why educate? Because that, that clearly isn't working. What about, what about frightening the life out of them or, or threatening them with serious repercussions or going after yeah, the parents or doing something like that? Well, you can go after the parents, but at the end of the day, ultimately, what are the parents going to say? Like, when their child is out and about, they don't know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Your children are going to be out hanging around with their friends. They may have one friend that's carrying a knife or several. The kids aren't going to tell the parents. One of those children that is carrying a knife might put it to the side or hide it before they come into the house. You're never going to be able to do it that way. I mean, ultimately, what, what is the answer? I don't know because it's, it's going to carry on. If, and if anything, it's going to get worse. Yes, obviously, you know, making sentencing more harsher, then that might work. There has to be some sort of deterrent. But as it stands, you know, those that carry knives know the system. They know how to get out of it. They know what to do. They know they're going to get a slap on the hand and walk away. I mean, that generally is what happens. And, and is it, you know, when you have young people carrying knives, and I don't even know where you put a cut-off on a young person, would it be a 20-something or whatever, you, is, it, is it for, like I said, for bravado? Is it macho is to fit in? Is it because they, they're in fear of another gang or somebody is threatening them and it's for their protection? Are they bad pieces of work who use it like in the generally, case of... Generally, yeah, generally it's going to be a self-defence thing, and, and that is why. I mean, if you've got um, not even necessarily gang-related... But if you've got a group um, of, of kids or adults that are after falling out with somebody or they've been threatened or, you know, if they've stepped onto their territory to deal drugs or they've done this or that or whatever, or even in a domesticated incident, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody has been told that we're going to get you, then obviously people are going to then carry something to protect themselves. But unfortunately... But how do they get into the situation where somebody is threatening to get them in the first place? If you just peel that back. How do you mean? Like, it, it, as in... Are, are, are they, are they, are they're going to get you because, what, they're in a rival gang or they're selling drugs for the wrong guy. Why are they being threatened in the first place? Well, obviously, yeah, drugs, you know, debt, obviously kind of financial debt, anything like that at all. You know, because people sometimes aren't wired up the right way. Drugs unfortunately, rewire people's brains as well and become more aggressive, don't think logically. There's, there's loads to it. It's not just as simple as, like, you know, stripping it back. You can have somebody who's a completely, you know, normal, sane individual who has, you know, for whatever reason, come across the wrong person. Road rage incident, anything. Do you know what I mean? Some people keep knives in their cars. You know, a road rage incident that just, where you caught the wrong person at the wrong time on the wrong day, they get out of the car and they have a knife. Yeah. It could be anything. Do you understand? It's not. But isn't a lot of it in domestic scenarios where things, it was never the intention to stab or kill anybody, but a row started, uh, testosterone was flying, somebody reached for, isn't it, reached for a knife or what have you? Yeah. But then you've got to then, once all that happens and somebody gets arrested, you've then got to go through, obviously, the investigation side. 
you know, the defence, you know, the loopholes through obviously all the laws, everything and anything like it. It is literally a vicious circle. So when people are critical of, say, for instance, on Garda Shikana, a lot of time that's unfair, you're saying, because they don't understand the detail that's begun into the investigation, that's got the, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, the court time. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you, you have police officers out in the street. All it takes is one firearms incident. That will take, it could take multiple units, and that could take hours to deal with that incident. Um, it's not just as easy as one police car going to whatever incident to deal with it. It's multiple cars. And then it's obviously uniformed officers, response officers, who then have to obviously look at the outer lines as well. Like it's, It isn't just as simple as going there, arresting them and leaving. It can take hours. You know, I've been stood outside of a house for hours while officers have negotiated with somebody inside of a house with a knife or a gun or, you know, and then you're looking at then obviously kids that are carrying BB guns that are obviously, you know, look like real guns, you know, and I have, it has come to a point where, you know, in York where, you know, you're obviously detaining somebody for the purpose of a search and um, be it male or female we, we search both as a female officer or a male officer and you, next thing you see they have a gun on them your heart sinks because you don't know at that point is this you know is this the last time I'm going to see my girls is this the last time I'm going to walk home do you know what I mean yeah. you know for every single time be it a police officer or a member of the public you step out on the street you don't know what's going to happen no. do you mean you, and, and I saw quite a lot with and especially with kids that, you know, they come from a home where, for instance, say, we'll just use this as one example where, you know, a child isn't getting any sort of attention, love, you know, the parents may be drug dealers or, you know, drug users or alcohol abusers or whatever. They walk out of that house where there is nothing shown to them and they walk down the street and they might see a family walking past or all happy or whatever and they get so angry. And, you know, because why am I getting this? Why am I special enough to get this? And this is where they lash out and might damage a car or punch somebody or... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's so much more to it than just that, you yeah, know? Yeah. It isn't just gangs or, you know, road rage incidents are probably the worst, actually, because that's just a moment where somebody has just flipped and, you know, all it takes, it could be the smallest knife, you know, in the wrong place, the wrong time, in the wrong area of the body, and that person's dead. Just on it, just one or two questions before I let you go. Can, can can you stop and search anybody in the UK, or do you have good reason, or do you, do you, you can have, you only yeah, do you it? Have to, yeah, your power only gives you. You have to have a valid reason as to why. And we went through a period of time where we had to then produce paperwork uh, along with all the other little you know books that we carried on us. But if you stopped and searched a member of the public, you then had to provide them with this paperwork to like explain why we stopped and searched. So you couldn't stop, say somebody, as we say, like a dodgy character, um, because wasn't there an accusation then in the UK that way too many police officers were engaging in racial profiling, that they were stopping an awful lot more, say, black kids than white kids kind of thing, and that was wrong. I I can't get into that or mention anything about that because I can't speak on other people, you know, the forces or whatever, but me, in, in the role that I did... I would stop and search somebody only if necessary. And what, 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 what protection would you have as an English police officer? So um, in York, and I'm speaking about York specifically, obviously the, the, the larger cities um, could be different. I would be, as a female, single crewed. I was single crewed always up until 10 p.m. at night till 7 a.m. in the morning. Does that then mean I you were with crew. another officer or on your own? I was on my own. I was single crewed on my own. 
and I'm not, I'm, I'm not even tall. Like I'm not even five foot. I'm four foot eleven three quarters and a bit. I'm tiny. <laughs> that sounds quite dangerous to be on your own. Yeah, but it, yeah, I mean, it is because you don't ever know what you're going to go into. But what I carried on me was my body armor, my asp, which is the steel bar that extends out, and my pava spray, which is like pepper spray, my handcuffs. And then obviously a nominated amount of officers would be um, given tasers um, at the start of a shift. Now, the firearms officers are always double crewed, always double crewed. But the response officers will be single crewed only on a night shift. Or if you're going to, you know, a, a, you know, a job where it, it's going to be something where it's pre-planned, then you would be with somebody. But it's not about, you know being this big, robust character. Like, I mean, if you saw me getting out of the car on a lot of occasions, like, people would laugh because they'd be like, what are you going to do about it? But it's about how you speak to people. It's actually how you speak to people. But if I get out of the police car and go and speak to somebody who's already revved up and I speak to them like they're a piece of crap, it's just going to escalate. True, true, true. So it's, it, you know, it's how you speak to people. Now, I've kind of, I've bumped into a couple of, of guards here and I'm not going to lie, like, I was spoken to like crap and the attitude and the arrogance and I'm only speaking about the couple that I've, I've spoken to. It was awful, actually. And I thought to myself, it's no wonder, actually, that, you know, police officers do get abuse if you're going to speak to people like that. And, I mean, that's just, that's minimal amount. Do you know what I mean? Well, but, as in um, they, were, yeah. they were rude, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 really rude. But, um, yeah, when I do say to people, obviously, when they ask questions about being on your own as a police officer and responding to jobs, yeah, it was scary. You know, I never knew what I was going to walk into. Something as simple as a, you know, theft of, of you know, something in the house or whatever outside the house could turn into, you know, somebody who I find dead or, you know, you just never knew being lured, being lured actually to somebody's house was, was my biggest fear because that actually happened where, and he had a machete on him. I don't know how it happened or whatever, but I got a phone call asking specifically for me to go to this property. Um, and, you know, I checked beforehand. You obviously get in all the intel on the individual, the property, the car, everything that's linked to them. So you know what you're going into. And what, thankfully, I followed my gut because I'd never been engaged with this person at any point. But he specifically asked for me to go and see him to speak to him about something. At the time, firearms were busy. So I'd asked for backup. So any sort of, you know, violent incident, we would always ask for backup and you're told you wait until the backup arrives before you go in. But then obviously to, you know, protect life, if there's something happening, which nine times out of ten, if it was that violent, you would go in to try and save whoever. But when I got to the property, um, I'd asked for uh, backup. A couple of lads were with me. This guy just wanted me to go into the flat. Nobody else. And when he turned around to walk away from the door, thinking I was going to walk in, he had a machete down the back of his trousers. And now he was obviously, you know, arrested or whatever like that. But to this day, I don't ever know why or what or what was he going to do. You know, why did he want to speak to me specifically? I'd never met him or dealt with him. But this is what I'm saying. You just don't ever mm. know. Mm. And you're looking at, you know, people mental health problems. You know, one minute you can have somebody who's, you know, absolutely fine. And anything could trigger them. They're out on the street. They'll see something that could trigger them. And, you know, they'll attack, who, you know, whoever it is. So it's not just as easy as throwing these people in prison and throwing away the key. It, it's not as easy as that. Okay. Why I did you stop? Was. Why did you stop? <laughs> um, my career got ended because um, a 
a criminal um, end of my career, actually. Um, but I'd rather not get into that. Um, but wow. yeah, I do miss it terribly. Um, wow. But it is one of those things, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, there's another story in there somewhere, but not for no, airing, as you say. I understand. I got it. I got it. I got it. But you know, at the end of the day, I just think getting into schools, you know, um, and talking to the kids, it does actually work. It does. Because you're giving them fundamental information, you know, giving them knowledge. And who goes in? The, the, the guardie, is it? Well, in our respect, it was the Safer Neighbourhood teams. And by that, I mean, we had obviously um, uh, community support officers. They weren't police officers. They were community support officers that were generally out on the streets walking high visibility patrol. And they would go into the schools and speak. And, you know, we would go with them. Police officers would go with them, obviously, to answer questions as well. But, you know, you don't need a police officer to go in and do these talks. If you've got somebody who knows, you know, I'd happily go in and talk to kids for free and explain to them, tell them things that I've seen. And, you know, looking at somebody in front of me who's been stabbed eight times, who's got four children at home, knowing by the time I get into the hospital, he's going to be dead. He's never going to see and has a ripple effect because then it goes down then through the family, you know, through everybody else. And then obviously that's where you get more, obviously, you know, violence related incidents again because then they want to get the other people back. But surely you'd put in, you'd send into the schools ex-criminals, people who had changed their life around or they would talk to the horrors of their life in crime or indeed people who were victims of crime. They're the people that should be sent into schools, I would have thought. Yep, you know, a great idea. But has that happened? I've never heard, heard that happen. You'll find out from people who are listening if they've ever had it happen yeah. with the son or a yeah, daughter in their schools. Idea. All right, okay. Yeah. Jenny, good stuff. Listen, thanks for holding as long as you did and thanks for taking the call. Look after yourself. No, not at all. Have Appreciate it. You too. Take Bye. care. Graham, good morning. Good morning. My apologies for holding you so long. Appreciate your patience. Uh, are you a parent? Uh, I am indeed. Okay, so your thoughts on this. What would you do? Um, well, I think it's... it's at the end of the day, the, the the book should stop with me as a parent, um, and if not just me as a parent, then the child's mother as well. Because I suppose when we're when we're looking for the guards to be increased in numbers, and and we're looking for prison sentences to be longer, it, it doesn't fix a problem um, after it's happened. We should instead take responsibility socially I think anyway as as parents as brothers sisters so as, um, a, as a parent uh, you said by text if my young lad grows up to be a knife wielding scumbag it's my fault as his dad yes if he hangs out with scumbags it's my fault as his dad yes right okay because at, at, at the end of the day if I'm not if, I'm, if I don't know my child enough to know what he's like socially and what he's like as a person, to know that he would go away and do a crime such as that, that's my fault. Okay. For but not it, putting the time and effort. But what about by the time you notice or know it, it's too late, and he's six foot tall, and an angry young man, who equally would, uh, you know, um, do harm to you, not to mention anybody else. You're afraid of him at that stage. There's nothing you can do. Why would you be afraid of your own child if, you're he could if you t- haven't brought him up properly? Well, like, I guess so you, I for, guess you for, want to do example, the work very young then. Well, yeah, why not? I mean, we're, we're parents. You know, we have kids and they're young and they're tiny and we're there from birth until they're teenagers, hopefully. You know, so it, it, it's our responsibility to do that. It's 
it's something that we should do far less to, to prevent all of these issues because that's our job as parents. I mean, what, what are we doing? I know just the whole idea that as humans we need to procreate and whatever just to exist. But, I mean, surely, surely we can put in the effort into these young people who are going to be the future and we're always on about climate action and all this. But, I mean, what are we doing? Just giving birth to them and leaving them off? Yeah, we have to put the effort in. Yeah, but... Yeah, but parents often tell me that they can't control their kids. They don't listen. They don't always know what they're doing when they're out. They don't always know. They can't be following 24-7. They can't be checking their phone. It's just not practical. But, but why not? I mean, why, why, is, why will my son not listen to me? What is it that I'm doing? What interactions am I having? Does he not listen to me because I'm shouting at him? Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe maybe fear mongering works for some people and it doesn't for others. I mean, I've I've a few siblings and even in my own family I know we have different different approaches worked for us differently. Mm. For some it was oh you know, oh jeez, I can't do that now or it's you know, whatever. These would be the consequences and for others it was a matter of just simply, look, this is wrong, you shouldn't do it and it was taken on board straight away. You know, like, if you don't know your child, you won't know your approach. Or perhaps you do, and you might be afraid, but then perhaps ask, ask somebody else. We all know somebody who has been in difficult situations. We all do. It's all in the I parenting. Mean, it's all in the parenting. Have, have, have that, com- that difficult conversation, or, you know, with yourself and with your children, to just go, Jesus, look, this isn't nice, and whatever, and what can we do to fix the issue? Because that's that's what's necessary. Increasing it can the be very difficult though if you live in an area that's full of bad pieces of work, or you're in housing estates that are just plagued with troublemakers, and your children grow up amongst them. It it must be very worrying. It must be an awful anguish for parents who 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 see the risk every time their son or daughter walks out the front door. You know, perhaps with the best will I know, in the world. I, I know people. I know people genuinely from from places that would be deemed as being very. Um, high risk uh, who have done great jobs as and some of them single parents who have raised brilliant children um, because they put the effort in yes it's difficult but I mean most things in life are difficult true, I mean true. you know I mean, we have to put the effort in it's, it's our responsibility as parents don't blame the teachers don't blame the police don't blame other people you know just look at ourselves as parents because it'll be their job someday hopefully yeah. you know and it'll be their job to improve on that again and then generation by generation yeah hopefully. and look at the children they'll raise if they were raised wrongly god almighty it just it's, it's got this exactly. ripple effect generation to generation more. yeah and and genuinely i i think from from my parents no i i'm mid turkeys so from my parents um generation they would have been you know hard working things would have been hard and then my generation tends to have swung the opposite way of well, because my parents said it's so hard, I need to do absolutely everything for my child. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, it's not really, it's not really working. And if it's not, that's okay. You know, we just need to look at that. Yeah, they don't so, learn life skills then if they're told you can have anything in the world, you can have all of the things that I didn't have. Your entitlement to everything. Wrong message, exactly. man. Big time. Thanks, Graham. Exactly. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Text 0868104106. Bit of alarming news this morning coming in because we're hearing uh, that Argos stores in Ireland are due to close in June. We received a text earlier in the morning telling us about that uh, and that apparently staff were 
Stafford told earlier this morning. Now, we've rang both stores in Cork who wouldn't say anything and they passed us straight to the press department of Argos. So we sent emails and contacted the press departments and are awaiting a response. But staff members are telling us that Maham Point and Blackpool, which are the two Argos stores, are amongst the Argos stores in, in Ireland due to close. And the press are picking up on the story now. And it could be as bad that as all of the Argos stores in Ireland are to close in June. Pretty sad news, of course, particularly uh, for people employed by Argos. I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Um, I, I do know that Corpio were reporting uh, yesterday uh, that um, people on the north side, at least shoppers on the north side, were surprised to hear that they're going to lose one of the most popular sporting outfit stores, Lifestyle Sport, uh, who are closing their Blackpool shopping centre spot. So uh, updates there on the uh, the job. I know, I know that um, in December, actually, um, they were talking and there was a warning that Argos would be closing uh, some stores because their losses were absolutely soaring and their revenue uh, was tumbling. Uh, so this morning we have an update on that um, with regards to all of the Argos stores in Ireland, two of them in Cork. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And you can pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. George says, not a bad idea, knife amnesty, but will not solve the problem. Education is what's needed for these kids. A combination of both police, just like we heard a while ago, need to go into secondary schools and also make it mandatory for parents to be there as well. Everyone needs to sit up and listen. Parents have got to be more involved. Ashley says, the only way to stop all of the stabbings is to get judges giving out heavier sentences, actions of consequences, and these kids never suffer the consequences. It's the victims who do. Uh, Kate says, it's just three years ago this week since Cameron Blair lost his life to a knife attack. Good people don't go out with knives. Laws need to change. Very harsh sentences need to be enforced. Like I said, good good people don't take a knife out with them. And there's reams of these texts and thank you and I'm quite sure calls as well. But it's a, it's, it might come as some consolation to know that there are suspended sentences handed out in other jurisdictions as well. I came across a, a story uh, where the sentence was uh, 150 hours of unpaid work and a fine of £154 and £85 costs. It involved in a, a machete. There is kind of a core connection to this because it's an individual called Romain Colthurst um, who is part of the uh, family that owned Blarney Castle and the Blarney Stone. Um, she avoided jail. Um, apparently brought a machete to a business meeting. The story behind this is that uh, she brought a machete which was a family heirloom, heirloom to a meeting in a moment of madness. Um, it, it was said in court that she invested £320,000 in a cryptocurrency business belonging to an entrepreneur and she lost a substantial amount of money in the deal. Like anybody who invested in crypto would have lost a substantial amount of money. Um, and her representative in court said that it was an ill-advised decision to bring the family heirloom. It was a machete into the business meeting. Uh, she said, I think, that she she did it, um, uh, was carrying the machete for the visual aspect, but that she would never have made any real threat with it. But nonetheless, it was a machete, a bladed 
item and uh, she got six months jail suspended for 12 months and that's in the UK uh, text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 can I just change I was mentioning earlier in the week um, that uh, this is the time of course uh, that everybody starts thinking about summer holidays and it's a very busy month uh, for those involved in the um, the travel industry and that's why uh, you'll see things like flash sales on Ryanair there was a flash sale on Ryanair this morning where they had discounted flights from Cork to all sorts of destinations and they were quoting 11 euro for flights and 13 euro for flights and 15 euro for flights and I was thinking yeah but we wouldn't you'd never be able to get one of those but we took a look at it earlier this morning and you could and for the months of the rest of January and indeed February and I think March all of these flight prices of 11, 12, 14 and 15 euro are freely available to loads of different Ryanair destinations into Stansted and into Luton and Liverpool and Gatwick and Birmingham and I don't know what the story is further afield but they actually do exist these very cheap flights um, you, sometimes you hear oh, there's only a couple of seats on the plane but in fairness to them they're all over the place but we did then do some comparisons we were talking earlier on um, in the week with regards to uh, prices of uh, you know a week or two weeks in an Irish hotel versus a complete um, inclusive package overseas and the likes of I think we were talking about Mexico uh, and I'll, I'll get some of those examples for you. One, one of them would be um, Mexico. Uh, no, I don't have it. I don't have the price for the week. I'll have to come back to that. Uh, different price prices, where, which compare like maybe three and a half grand for a, a Killarney hotel. Three and a half grand for a Killarney hotel versus maybe three and a half grand for an all-inclusive uh, hotel trip with flights and everything. To Mexico. But just to pick up on that and lots more besides, I'm joined by Owen Corrie, who's editor of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So this is the season then, isn't it, to be jolly and to be checking out holiday deals abroad? Thus was it always. As soon as the last uh, piece of turkey was consumed, the old holiday brochures came out. They were scattered all over the table. The big discussion uh, went, where are we going on holidays this year? Some listeners will remember uh, publicity for the budget travel sale where people queued overnight. And then a big, it was always the, the Aer Lingus sale during January. What uh, we now have is a slightly more evolved version of that, but it's absolutely true what you say, about 30% of the, in the holidays booked, not so much the shorter breaks, but 30% of the main holidays booked, uh, sold in Ireland are booked during the month of January. And I was looking actually at the most popular destinations for Irish tourists. Uh, it was done recently. Chill Insurance did it. Did you see that? Spain, Greece, uh, they, Italy. They, they, this is where I'm speaking to you today uh, from Madrid, uh, the big tourism fair, Fitur, which uh, sort of defines what's happening in the Spanish market. It's a great place uh, to gauge uh, the mood and the prices and the uh, new tested, the new attractions that are on offer in Spain because it is by uh, a margin our most popular uh, destination. You know, the population of Ireland is about six and a half million. It's just over two million visits a year to Spain out of that population. Easily per head of population, uh, the, the most important. Uh, second way ahead of second to it is Greece, and then Italy, and uh, after that, Malta comes in as fourth. Yeah, I don't, I don't, that doesn't stack up with the data because there aren't that many flights to Malta. We've only two a week from Dublin, one from Belfast, and one from Shannon a week. So when you compare what you would do to Portugal, for instance, which is our second, uh, our third biggest after France, 
um, the holiday destination. That you would have more flights in a morning between uh, six and eight o'clock in the morning uh, than you do in a week to Malta. So, you know, while um, you know you can get sentiment surveys, the real action or the real way of gauging where Irish people go is fairly easily tracked through our airports. Number one, by a margin of Spain, there's a big uh, British, uh, uh, which will be a little bit different because there's a lot of VFO, friends and relatives. Number two is France, number three is Portugal. And number four, oddly enough, is the United States. We've got so many flights over there with Italy nipping away at its heels. So they're the places uh, traditionally Irish people went. And that, yeah. that pattern has been accentuated by COVID because we are going back to the familiar we're certainly not back. Travel isn't back to where it was before the pandemic. Yeah, in fairness, the, the 15 most popular holiday destinations that I was looking at were monthly searches online. That doesn't always translate into an absolute booking. So you're right. Of course, you'll be right. So it will be Spain and it will be Portugal and it will be France and it will be Greece. And, and the thing is, you'll have, you see countries like the Maldives and the Seychelles, which are inordinately expensive, showing up a lot in the internet book, uh, searches. Doesn't mean you book it, though. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. They're aspirational, you know. It's a, it, you cheer yourself up even looking at the pictures. But yeah, but yet, yet we were talking on air earlier in the week where somebody had actually booked two weeks in August in Mexico, all inclusive, right? Three thousand six hundred euro for a fortnight: breakfast, dinner, lunch, open bar, li- unlimited alcohol, everything, snacks all all through the day. Three thousand six hundred euro for a fortnight, including flights. And then he had also looked at two weeks in the same period, August, in a hotel in Killarney, came in at exactly the same price. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? The way holiday pricing works, it's a load of different factors. The flight uh, is a big, important factor. And this is what we've seen is flight prices really reduced from the days of our childhood, Neil, when the flights were hugely expensive, by far the most expensive. Now the flight doesn't even factor in and people are, if you have um, places with a large number of unsold packages, unsold rooms, or in this place, uh, inclusive packages, they will do flash sales in January and they will incentivize. If they're full, they don't have to do that. What happens inbound into Irish hotels is really, really complex at the moment. And uh, the listeners will need no introduction to uh, the factors like government contracts, which have taken 26%. Oh, what's going to happen there now? Are the hotels going to bail out and go back to tourism? It's a very hard uh, decision for them to make because it's guaranteed money, although there are questions about the money being paid on time that have been raised in the last uh, 10 days. But it is guaranteed money for a hotelier rather than uh, scrambling around trying to sell your 120 rooms individually. So it is, you can see uh, the incentive is there for hoteliers. It does t- tend to take out not so much the high end of the high end hotels, obviously. So that means that our average price creeps up because the remaining stock that's on sale tends to be higher end than the, the I know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there could be upwards of 8,000 beds in hotels <laughs> that are taken up by uh, Ukrainian refugees. I'm just wondering whether they're... For, yeah including uh, our sweet spots, including the Wild Atlantic Way. Uh, there could be, there's several thousand hotel beds along the coast. Um, and Tourism Ireland have launched their 78 million euro marketing campaign uh, this week. They were a big, big launch in Dublin. 
we are in a position where we're marketing the island heavily. Uh, Banshees, uh, Banshees of Finisher and all of those sort of uh, yeah, movies really raising our profile. And we may not have beds. For but never mind uh, the beds. Talk, talk about the cost of Ireland by comparison. I mean, tourists must find it extortionate when they come here, don't they? It depends. Some of them will be say, "Oh, I can get the um, somewhere else cheaper." Good example: the honeymoon market. Uh, Dominican Republic would be one third the cost of a honeymoon in Ireland. But when you meet people, they sort of say, "I'd love to come to Ireland when I can afford it." They don't say, "I'm never going there because it's too uh, expensive." That's the sort of a thing Irish people say. We priced ourselves out of the market. It becomes aspirational in its, in its own. Uh, internationally, some of the places that charge a huge amount of money have no problem um, filling the, the the beds because people desire to go there. And once that desire to come to Ireland and our imagery is very powerful through movies and television programs and things like that, especially in North America, They'll pay once that desire is there, we, we don't really have to worry about cost, price. And our competitors, where are, you know, some of well, Scotland might be a bit cheaper. That's the that's the country closest to, uh, to Ireland in terms of the product that it offers. Um, but most Northern European countries aren't that, um, aren't, aren't that much less expensive than, uh, than ours. Ah, what come on. Think? Spain, Portugal, Greece? I'm say, I, I said Northern European. Uh, <laughs> and what, what, oh, what yeah. you're, what you're, No, seriously, most Northern The point I'm making is most Northern European countries are not that less, much less expensive than Ireland. Some of them are a little bit. But when you go uh, up head to head with the Scandinavians in the world, what Irish people tend to do is compare us to um, Spain, Portugal, um, Greece. And there you can eat out for uh, a fraction of what you can eat out in Ireland. The bottle of wine costs, say, six euro instead of 28. All of those sort of things. But it's, it's, it's apples and oranges in many ways in, the, in terms of your tourism offering. We, we, can't, we can't go uh, to battle with, with Portugal particularly. Uh, on uh, price when it comes to things that we do have a comparable um, product it's like golf courses green seas things like that it's quite interesting how the uh, the, the prices balance out yeah. the other really important point Neil is right back to what you said at the beginning about the 11 euro fares Ireland is one of the cheapest places you can get to to fly to and um, we have because Ryanair is 70% of our traffic on and off the island people are flying to Ireland on a whim are very, very, very little. Actually, that's very, very true. I saw an article recently that said if you take a 65 euro flexible return fare between Kent Station and Houston Station by train, here are the places that you can fly to out of Cork Airport cheaper than going from Dublin yeah. from Cork to Dublin. You can fly cheaper to Paris, Poznan, Faro, Valencia, Alicante, Alicante, Malaga, Venice, Milan and Rome. You can fly cheaper out of Cork to them than the Cork to Dublin train. Crazy, Without isn't it? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, and the train, uh, you know, the, the train price comparison is truly shocking. Is particularly if you if you don't take the Iron Road Air and online offers, and you just walk into the station and buy your fare. But uh, we, what the, a proportion of our holiday spend that's being spent on flights is way, it's come way way down because flights are so accessible. And they are, yeah, yeah, um, the, yeah. The hotel, the hotel doesn't really. 
um, you know, people search around. They're, they're with, they're with such power now with hotel comparison websites, Trivago, the likes of that. People flying into Ireland um, are pretty good at shopping around and finding the one that hits their budget. So you're saying but don't the, compare the two weeks all-inclusive in Mexico with two weeks oh, on the Wild Atlantic Way. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's bizarre actually because I did, book, I did book a flight with Ryanair recently. It, it was a crazy thing in, into Luton. And then as soon as it was booked, an hour later, they uh, issued an alert saying the flight had been cancelled, book again. So within, two, within the then very next day, we rebooked another uh, Ryanair flight, this time into Stansted on the same dates. Paid for that, did the business, everything was fine. And one hour later, they cancelled that flight. Why, why do they do, why are they cancelling so many flights? You, know, you put your finger on something else very interesting that's happening. It showed up in the Cork Airport tours, uh, numbers, which were released last week, and the Dublin Airport numbers, which were released on Monday. The traffic and the demand for flights to and from Britain is so, way, way down since before the pandemic. And Ryanair removed a large part of that inventory, which is they do an awful lot of business between Ireland and England, uh, regional airports in England included. They've started pulling those flights because the their advanced sales are showing that they're not going to be viable. So we're seeing flight cancellations. And if you look at the numbers, uh, the airport numbers, uh, Europe is well up on pre-pandemic, about 6-7%. Britain is well, well down. Partly Brexit. So it's, it's likes of Dublin Heathrow would be a, a fairly trunk route. It would have 21 flights a day. It's down to about 12 or 13 now. I- so you're, it, we're seeing a shift in the connectivity of Ireland to Britain uh, it used to be the it used to be as much as Europe nearly the Britain on its own. We're seeing that sliding back and Europe rising. And are you saying are you warning people that come the spring or midterm or into the summer expect more cancellations or flight delays? Some of them lengthy, perhaps. Flight delays will be a, a, a different issue. We're really onto staffing, particularly staffing in airports. It was a massive problem last summer. It was dangerous in parts of uh, Dublin Airport. Those 100 gates with Ryanair flights from so many flights were delayed so many people heaving through that hall I'm not sure it's solved it's a bigger issue than the airline because the airline was well staffed up it caused, was caused by all sorts of other problems throughout Europe so we will see likely see delays during the summer we won't see the security queue delays okay. well staffed up for that okay. and, but the uh, um, flight cancellations it shouldn't be an issue except where they're, they're doing a very big pullback on those British flights over the last few days. I'd imagine by the end of January they'll have it pretty much set in stone. Okay, summer. I see a lot of good deals. Just very finally, and I will let you go, I see some very good deals for mid-term, you know, including uh, Ryanair yeah, flights and four-star four hotels in the Algarve. Just a quick example of that. Fly direct Cork to Faro with Ryanair. Two adults, two kids, four-star hotel in February, €854. Euro. I mean, it's fierce good value, isn't it? For a yeah, okay, family of four? Because, because the Algarve isn't a winter destination, winter sun destination like Lanzarote. So, you, you know, Irish people going out in February, it's because it's so, the weather is so much better than here, Irish people going out in February and March, you know, other countries don't travel in those sort of numbers. We will pick up those deals. Also, keep a very close eye on the bank holidays that only we have and nobody else Traditionally, St. Patrick's weekend, it's great to get great ski deals because nobody else is off work to that. And we have a new uh, bank holiday on February the 6th 
keep an eye out for that because not only will the price, flight prices be good, but we'll be going to countries where the children are not off school for there is no bank holiday that weekend and we'll be able to get hotel prices uh, at a bargain. All right. Pleasure talking to you as always, Owen. Thanks always for taking the call. Pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Take care for now. Owen Corrie, editor of Air and Travel magazine. I'll give you some other examples of prices overseas. Primarily, I suppose, looking at, say, for instance, midterm, which would be the next big holiday hurdle, if you like, for families to get through. But that's all after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Alright, a lot of ground to cover like we do every single day and I'll come back to texts and emails and calls from earlier this morning and different topics but there is celebration down at St. Coleman's Community College and why wouldn't there be? They've only just gone and won half a million euro down in Middleton in the Euro Millions Lottery and it's such a happy story but tinged with a little bit of sadness as well but we're delighted for them there's a lot involved in the syndicate one of them is Leah Duggan from St. Coleman's Community College. She joins me by phone. Leah, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you? Firstly, I'm well, thank you. Firstly, congratulations to each and every one of you. How many? <laughs> so, yeah, there's 64 of us in the syndicate all together. So we're over the moon now, you can imagine. We're it's delighted. a great result. In a very lucky shop, actually. I think the shop has had seven wins. Something like nearly... Yeah, I actually s- heard that. Yeah, there's been a few wins then there now, to be fair. So we yeah. were lucky. You were lucky, and deservedly so, because you've been doing it religiously for a long time, have you? Oh, the case has been going for years now. I'm only in it the last couple of years. And so the whole idea is that each teacher takes a turn every week you go down and you, you pay and you get the lotto ticket. And then we just email the results into each other and there might be, you know, two euro or three euro. And that goes into a kissy then and it kind of rolls on. Um, and then we got an email yesterday from the girl that did it for us. Was it Rebecca behalf. bought it, was it? Yeah, Rebecca went down to the shop on, what day were we today? So it was Tuesday night she went down and bought the ticket and she got the message Wednesday morning to say, like, you've won big in the lottery. How does that happen, did she say? Do, like, do you get a notification or what did she say? I think she, I'd say it was an app or a message. She checked the lottery yeah. yeah, to say, you know, you've won big. But that was at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and she couldn't say a word to any of us. And she was saying, you know, she met the caretaker and the caretaker was like, any, any news? And she said she had to say deadpan and couldn't say a word. And then she finally got through to Lotto HQ at quarter past nine. And we got the email then just saying, like, I'm, I'm going to keep this short. We've won 500,000 euro in the lotto. But then she added that it was actually May's turn to buy the ticket this week. Now, so, that's why um, it's tinged in sorrow and sadness. Yeah. Tell us about Maeve Barry. So Maeve was one of our colleagues and she worked here. I think I have the number right for the last 33 years. Um, you know, when someone's just the life of a place, you know, she was intrinsic to the school. And we lost her very suddenly back in the last term. So you can imagine, you know, the place was in shock. It was a desperate loss for the school. Um, And, you know, we were grieving as a school community, but we're lucky we kind of look after each other a lot down here. Um, So we we hadn't really done the the lotto um, just yet. And we used the rollover in the kitty to buy it on May's behalf this week. And then we, we won half a million euro. Isn't that um, an know, incredible thing? So, you know, whether you're a believer or not, you have to believe that some something's going on there and that, you know, she was smiling down on us that day just to kind of maybe bring us all together and, and give us a bit of a lift after 
after a very, very tough Oh tough my God. Term. He's certainly looking down on you, without a doubt. It mm-hmm. would have been her term, her turn. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been her turn to, to buy the, the lotto ticket. So, um, you know, it's, it's an amazing win, but it's very nice to know that, you know, it was her turn and she's looking down on us. And I know it means a lot to everyone in the community and to, in, to certain teachers in particular. And it's, it's very, very special. Oh, it would be. I mean, you're 33 years working with so many colleagues. I mean, it does leave an awful gaping hole, doesn't it? It does. And it's, you know, when someone is missed around the school, you know, you only realise how, how important they were, I suppose, to a place when when they don't step in the door the following day. I know, I know. Um, it's a win in her memory, though, at the same time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why Owen English and the Examiner has a lovely article this morning: joy and sorrow from Middleton five hundred thousand euro millions winner. But let it—I know it is a sad time, of course, but it's a win, and a win is a win. Why would why would Rebecca not have been able to say anything for an hour? Why did she keep it so quiet? Well, I suppose she didn't know the amount, and um, <laughs> she was saying to us because you know straight away when the news broke, it, it ran like wildfire, and there, you could hear like a cheer here and there, and I was saying, "What's going on?" <laughs> but she just got the message to say you've won big, but I think she said that can be anything from five thousand all, all the way up. But she didn't say a word until she actually found out, and she then, as soon as we got the email, and you know there was heads popping into classrooms here, there, and everywhere, saying like, "Did you, did you see your emails?" Is so it is it an, is it enough though, Leah? Is it? Or is that just the, the <laughs> greedy person that I am? <laughs> uh, but do you know what? If it was a euro, it would have meant something. Do you know? It's it's just the 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 fact that it brought us all together, and there was a bit of excitement because we we had such a tough term, and you know, different colleagues were struggling at different times, and it was always trying to boost each other and to, to pull each other along, especially for the kids. You know, you you can't let that affect their experiences. I'm sure you just have to keep going and try and make it as, as great a day for them as you can and so then to have this boost it's just it's magic and also it, the Maeve Barry connection in her memory and that it would have been her time it's yeah. a beautiful exactly. beautiful story It's as, as Rebecca said it's surreal um, it, yeah. it, it works out at about what seven grand is it per, per, per person um, like 64 yeah. of you I think <laughs> yeah something worth that I think it's just under um, the eight so right. like I mean uh, we're, we're fairly delighted now with that. As I say, whether even if it was a euro, I think. Well, listen, all, it'll pay a lot of Christmas bills, won't it? Clear a lot of credit well, cards, or maybe a nice summer it. holiday. I, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of plans flying around the place at the minute of what people are going to do and where they're going to place it. And you know, um, I think a lot of maybe glasses are raised last night in May's honour, just saying. Yeah, ah, it's lovely, the, in honour of your colleague, you know? absolutely, without a doubt, without a doubt, a big school party as well. I'd imagine. What do you think? I'll put it to management and see, see how we get on <laughs> <laughs> okay listen I'll let you get back to it Leah congratulations to every single one of you to all thank of you, you very much. and indeed in honour of the late Maeve Barry thanks for taking the time this morning I do appreciate it that's great no problem bye no well said bye, well bye. said bye. well capable thank you so much Leah Duggan at St Coleman's Community College just a quick one actually with regards to the shop that sold it uh, Fergus McCarthy joins us from the shop morning to you Fergus Neil, how are you doing? Good. What's the shop called and where are you situated? Uh, McCarthy News on Main Street in Middleton. Okay, a lucky shop. Everybody in East Cork should be doing the lotto there. You've had seven <laughs> wins. We have, yeah, apparently so. Uh, yeah, there's been a good few now, although it's been a while, you know, but uh, it's been a, a few years now since we've had one. Ah, go well, you, had a, bit, you had a massive win in 06, didn't you? We actually, I think it was six was, might have been the time we had three wins in a year and two of them were the 500,000 and then there was a, there was a bigger win then, I kind of about four million or something like that, I think. <laughs> Do you recall the you four know? million winner? 
Uh, would you believe it was only in the last 12 months that I found out who it was? You know? Uh, but just uh, let me just say, it, they never went public, did they? No, they never did. Well, and for I'm God's not sake, say don't name, name them, will you? Oh, no, not at all. No, there's no way. I haven't told a soul. My, I, I think I told my wife, and that's it. And, but, and, uh, and how but, did you find out? Did you have a conversation uh, with the winners? Uh, the, the winner met my mother in the post office and, and told her. <laughs> You have to be very careful about bringing up anonymous lotto winners in East Cork. I'd say. Oh no! Oh God, no! Look, I wouldn't. You know, like to be honest, we wouldn't. Like of, of the winners we've had, I'd say about half of them I know who they are. But uh, you know, like it's their business. They do what they want with it. You know, Absolutely. and good luck to them. Absolutely, be a handy win three and a half to four million. Do people usually yeah. have the same numbers all of the time, or or do they? I think this um, was a quick pick, wasn't it, for the girls? Yeah, syndicate. Uh, I. I Syndicates tend to have specific numbers because, like, I think a lot of them would have, like, let's say, if there's six in a syndicate, they'd have six lines and they'd, they'd pick a line each. Yeah. You know, but uh, but when you have 60 odds, you know, obviously you're not going to have that, you know. I think they went, so. it's like a 10 line quick pick, is it? Something yeah, like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And do we have but, any evidence uh, as to whether quick picks are more successful in winning than chosen set numbers, I wonder? Oh, it's in- entirely arbitrary you now. Like, you know, I, I don't think it, it, is any, it means anything, you know. <laughs> but uh, luck is luck, and that's it. Luck is luck. It's the way the balls come out. So um, yeah. you you guys get a li- tiny, tiny little slice of the pie. Uh, we get a couple of grand, all right, out of it now. Uh, you know, so... Was, uh, Enough so to buy to a couple play. of bubbles, bottles of bubbles and have uh, a bit so of a party. We'll, we'll do something alright we'll have to do something we'll have to market in some way oh, you whatever know? you do man keep doing what you're doing seven wins so far including a big win yeah. and the latest one's a beautiful story isn't it particularly regarding uh, the late Maeve Barry oh no it's a lovely story and you know it was great you know, you know like there was a great buzz around the town yesterday because it kind of came out fairly early in the morning I know uh, yeah. and then there was another counter rumour then it was somebody else and stuff like that that is the, the way with these things isn't that always the way but it's like 64 lotto wins for Middleton, yeah, isn't it? Look, do you know, it, look, it's, it's, it's lovely and I'm delighted and, it, you know, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the town is kind of a buzz with it, all right, for sure, you know. Okay. I was just, uh, when, when I got my phone call there uh, for, from you a few minutes ago, I was, I was up hanging bunting in the shop from the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> and the chat was hilarious, you know. You can't beat a bit of marketing, boy. If it sells oh, more lottery tickets, so I'm sure that we don't miss these things. <laughs> All right, I don't miss the opportunity. Nice one, Fergus. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks for taking All the right, call. Cheers, Cheers pal. take Good care. Luck. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Corks Red FM. Tony said, "I read that an off-duty guard out walking in the woods up the country with his family, three fellas attacked and beat him, and it ended up in court." and they got a suspended sentence. Surprise, surprise to see. I'm hearing some alarming stories, some actual case histories from you guys who've had incidents. There was one or two earlier on this morning that are very, very, very disturbing. Here's one I'm absolutely fuming. I'm a mother of three older sons plus other aged kids and I've never, ever sent any of mine out to cause trouble. I've never asked drug dealers to call to my door for my sons to take drugs and drink and to get into trouble. My son has to wear three layers of clothes when he goes out for his own safety because of the life he has chosen. Not me, him. Yes, I'll always stand by him in court, But when I see these stupid, stupid people blaming the parents, my God, it makes my blood boil. I'm in a group where the majority are afraid of their kids. I'm in a group where the majority are afraid of their kids. Imagine that. 
And yes, the guards do use force. I have pictures of my sons to prove it. But that's not the point here. The point is that us parents have no idea what our kids are growing up with, as social media is rearing them nowadays, to be honest. Apologies for the long text. I am not condoning any of this. Yes, they should be severely punished for their crimes. Thank you from an amazing mom. Yes, uh, so you get very angry and fuming when people blame the parents and say, you know, the parents should know and must know and they're inadequate parents when when things, you know, when kids go off the trail. I mean, there's another example of that, if you don't mind. I'll come back to cause in a few minutes' time. And I think there's also an, an updated statement on, on Argos. But parenting, parenting, parenting. I read a story in the Times UK this morning. If you don't mind, just give me about two minutes just to talk you through this horrific case of parental abuse of a child. Two parents, right, killed their eight, their 16-year-old daughter. How did they do it, you might ask? By, allow, by allowing her to become morbidly obese during the COVID lockdown. Now, this is all evidence in court, right? These are court reports. I'm not making this up. So, Kaylee Titford weighed 22 and a half stone, as in just under 146 kilos. Um, young girl, right? 16 years old. She lived in conditions unfit for an animal uh, and didn't leave her bed for months on end. This is all evidence in court. And when she died in October 2020 at home, uh, she was found lying in filth and soiled clothing. The family allegedly ordered five takeaways a week. Right, That was it. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. Her mother admitted manslaughter by gross negligence. Uh, but her father denied all charges. Now, uh, Kaylee, the misfortunate 16-year-old, had spina bifida, a back condition, and hydrocephalus, which is a buildup of fluid on the brain. And if she was ever out of the bed, she used a wheelchair. Um, but she was found dead, living in squalor and degradation. And when the paramedics found her, she was lying on filthy puppy pads with maggots and flies on her body and milk bottles filled with urine around her bed. She was grossly obese, dirty, matted hair, unwashed body and ulcerated skin. She had a body mass index, a BMI of 70. The average BMI for a girl of her age should have been 20. Now, the trial is ongoing. It's expected to last up to four weeks and it continues on a daily basis. When she did go out, did go to school and interact, she was described as funny and chatty by her friends and staff but became confined to her home after the pandemic began, the COVID pandemic, in March of 2020. And that's what resulted, her death at home. And her two parents in court charged uh, with her death. It's absolutely heartbreaking, a story like that. Um, and it's, it's an example of parenting, though, isn't it? And that's the reason I read it at this time, an example of parenting. Text 0868104106 on, on back to parenting or knife crime or issue like that in a few minutes' time. But I mentioned earlier on news that Argos were closing all of their Irish stores. The see mandate the trade union now are saying that it will engage intensively to get the best deal possible for workers who will be made redundant by the Argos closure. We have two on Lisa that will close. The union said that they're disappointed at Argos's decision to close all of their Irish stores. As of yet, there's been no official statement from Argos, but it is expected that they will make some kind of a statement at lunchtime today. But the reports that we have, and I got it first from a member of you guys out there listening to me who texted, it seems that Argos will close all the Irish outlets. Um, 
their profits and their sales have been plummeting. They had a really bad year, apparently. Um, and it, they also think that Retail Excellence Ireland is saying, Ireland are saying that there's so many vacant units around the country that aren't being filled fast enough that there's significant concern going into 2023 for other businesses. But what was it with Argos? Like, Argos must have been very much challenged by online, right? The likes of your Amazon. Um, and you see a lot of Amazon vans around now and you also see Unpost and DHL and all sorts of courier companies doing work for Amazon. Was that the reason why Argos just literally fell out of favour with the public? I think Argos, by and large, were, I think I think they were click and collect. But that world's changed now, hasn't it? You, you certainly click, but you don't collect. You have it delivered. So maybe Argos had its day. It's many years since I ever shopped in an Argos. I did, but it was a long, long time ago. And you, you called in. I used to go into, I used to go to Mahan and I used to go to the Queen's Oak Castle. Where were the lo- Where are the locations? Is it so? There's one now in. Uh, they're both kind of big extra stores. One is in Man Point and one is in Blackpool. I actually worked in the Mahan. I'll one. come back to that one. Okay. But there used to be one in the Queen's, right? There was, and they closed that fairly soon after I left that. And they've been closing stores quite a lot. Like they 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 closed their St Stephen's Green store, which was always the a rival store to Man Point. There was actually a rivalry between those stores. I'll tell you about it in a second. And Kilkenny, that was in uh, November, but they promised people at Cork that their stores would be safe. That okay. was in November. But I, but I wonder, did the shopping model change in the sense that why go in and collect it when another company will deliver it? I suppose the one thing that Argos, I thought, had a benefit over others was that you can view items before you buy them so you can click you can click and you can order them and you can drive down to Argos and Blackpool or a man and you can view them and you can see is it exactly what you want and then you can go ahead and buy it on the spot whereas when you buy online if you get what you don't quite want you can send it back Kevin uh, yeah but the, say, it's the hassle how many people don't do that though how many people get an item and the hassle of having to repack it and redo all that stuff whereas in Argos you just say no that's not what I want take it back I'll go look for something somewhere else and Argos does have a an enormous catalogue of stuff. Like, okay. and yeah, it's yeah. actually somewhere I would have gone semi regularly to get stuff, especially computer bits and bits and bobs. You just go, oh, go into Argos. I, I would hope there. that it's because more and more people are shopping online for Irish companies who have got their act together with the online world and they have better availability online, different Irish stores, and that. Irish stores are thriving. Yeah. Argos is a UK chain, isn't it? I suppose, it? but it's a UK chain that still employs a lot of Irish jobs. I was jobs, going to come to that. You know, How many jobs famous. are we talking about? I, can, I don't have an exact number to hand now well, at another the moment. thing there is Brexit, probably that and your argument regarding the online during COVID. That all has to feed into it. Argos wouldn't have been doing the click and collect for two years. People would have migrated to online, mm. to Amazon and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. 400, 400 jobs in 40 Argos stores. And two of them in Cork. And yeah. I thought so with the staff. And I hope, the ma- I hope the mandate get him a good deal now. I do. We're, we're hoping to get on to mandate. We have a what number was, for a rep. What, we're was, trying it like, to, what was it like working for, man, for uh, uh It wasn't. Uh, it was, I tell you what, um, it was one of the worst things and one of the best things that happened to me in the sense that I really just didn't like the job um, at all. But it was, uh, I was always kind of, uh, I had the idea of going into media, like the idea of going into media. And was, when I went in and worked in retail, I thought, okay, I cannot do this again. I have to go and work in media. Is and it a pressurised pressurize job? It's, it, it can be very pressurised. Now, uh, it was kind of at the time when I was in there, all the men were in the store, were in the warehouse and doing the heavy lifting and the women were out the front doing the tills. It was quite still split that way. It was unusual to have a woman in the, in the war. In the, so uh, they carried huge back. amount of stock. It was literally massive. 
behind the partition. <clears throat> Massive. And what they did, what they used to do before I joined is they used to have everything in the one section. Whereas after I joined, they they started had a, a what they called a multi pack system. So every shelf was numbered and lettered, and you could have a TV, and one might have been way up the back corner, and another one way of, and it's wherever they could find space. And then when you were putting stuff away, you'd have like a, a, a headset that you'd speak into, and you'd have to tell the headset, and you'd be you could be six or seven times trying to tell this damn. So you, would you ever wear a pedometer and walk around and see what kind of steps? You I had, had it on my with? phone. I mean, I was racking up serious steps, and we were also it was all black shoes. Like there was no kind of runners, no trainers that wasn't allowed as part of the uniform. So we were kind of walking around in in so I got comfy black shoes, but still, so you know, every was, single Argos then was like a mini Amazon warehouse. It, it was huge, and the Argos Man Point was particularly massive. It was huge to walk around um, there was so much so where like if you wanted to hide if you really wanted to hide something you could hide it pretty much in any shelf in Argos because it was so big nobody would ever come across it um, unless they know they were looking for yeah, it yeah okay and, and do you have an opinion as to why they're gone I, I don't know um, probably Brexit I just I, I, I've, I've, I just feel very sorry for the staff that's my first thought because there are some very genuine people uh, that are working there. There's people that have been working there for 25, oh, no, 30 job years. Loss you know, is a bad loss. But, be, um, you know. but I just, I just and think the start of a year as well. To be told, listen, sorry, you're out of a yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. They probably would have waited until after Christmas. I know. In my case, there was a lot of like. Uh, in my case, I remember being told after a day of work that I was being let go, and then being asked, "Look, can you cover in tomorrow if you don't mind?" Because we're actually sort staffed. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "Not the best way to handle <laughs> the departure." Not, not I would have really, done. You know, I said, "Absolutely no problem." I'd be in there in the morning, and I went to bed, and I turned off my phone, and I never talked to them ever again. <laughs> so maybe that wasn't the best way of dealing no, with it either. I mean, but you know, like you I think, were assertive. I, I think that's. I would say it was just. It was. I, I think it was just. Look, it's like any retail place. I think a lot of people that re- work in retail and are out of what they consider the bottom of the food chain know that it's a it's a very difficult and often thankless job um, but I remember particularly in Argos it was all about the not losing items it was all about making sure that and, and it was picking items your pick time was everything so the, the minute somebody ordered a receipt would come out of the machine and the clock had started that's amazing because yeah. I read an article somewhere at the weekend I can't remember where I don't know whether it was Lidl or Aldi somebody can correct me but it was one of those clickbait articles um, and I clicked on it I usually don't but I was very mm. curious as to why it could have been Lidl it could have been Aldi why they they, they go they they scan shopping so quickly, mm. like they're like rockets. <laughs> Apparently, they're on targets. They're on targets, yeah. And it was the same in Argos. You get a ticket, and you have your your you shouldn't be taking any longer. I think I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was around three to four minutes to for the between the customer ordering and getting through to the machine and you putting it down the bottom of the belt. And tough job retail. It, it is it tough is job. tricky, very tricky because really ultimately, if you make any mistake at all, your head is on the block. Tough job, tough job. All right, well, thank you for the insight. And again, you are right, Kevin, when you say it's the staff you feel for at any time of the year, but particularly in January. Calls on the way. My apologies to Charlotte uh, and to Maria. Back after these. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Okay, I need to watch the time wisely because I want to get more of the texts on air because a massive response on different topics, including um, dog breeders and indeed puppy farm and a lot on knife crime. One interesting one on knife crime though and I don't know whether it's going to be the same this summer but somebody, and alarmingly, John says I have a mobile home in Yall and last summer was the very first summer I can tell you the first time the parents down in Yall with mobile homes were worried about knives. You may ask the question why. 
Um, the answer is Ukrainian kids from Red Barn roaming the beach and flashing the knives. I did ring the guards, but I doubt they did anything. What will it be like this coming summer? Should we give our kids knives to protect themselves or what, says John? Don't have an answer to that. I'm taking what you're saying as being honest, truthful and at face value. Um, Then people are saying the problem, uh, this is to do with the potential to be importing potential criminality. The problem is the country's overflowing uh, with not enough accommodation. Uh, Irish people should have adequate housing before we invite people in need into our country. You'll find students ending up in overpriced accommodation, sleeping rough. Irish graduates cannot find accommodation where there is work. So that's one of the reasons why they are moving abroad. So we're losing all our qualified personnel. There should have been a survey done by the government as to housing, water supply and electricity before anyone was invited with needs from overseas to be housed and fed by Irish taxpayers. And then I'm accused of missing the bigger picture. Where, well, well, and I'm not, actually, because I, I do take on board uh, what the texter is saying, and that is we're only bringing refugees to Ireland to fill in the menial jobs that the Irish people won't take. Please wake up, Neil. Well, I'm wide awake. Um, I actually agree to a large extent that many of the jobs that have been taken up by people who are coming in here to work from overseas are the jobs that the Irish don't want or indeed the badly paid jobs. It has always been that way. Not always. Not We, we do get skilled labour coming in, um, our professionals, if you like, but I'm not disagreeing with you on that point about the menial jobs being filled by people coming in for other from other economies. So there's all that and lots more besides. Keep them coming. Text 0868-104-106. But what makes you happy? The reason I'm mentioning this again is I still have a couple of prizes left over. And I try to start the week on this so-called Blue Monday to flip it on his head and say, OK, it's not a depressing day. It's only that if you see it to be as a depressing day, you wish depression or negativity or gloom into your life. So you're asking people what makes them happy. Um, and if I can get just one or two of those on this side of, uh, this side of midday, I'll be doing quite well. Let me, if you don't mind, I'll talk to Charlotte. Charlotte, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, it's lovely chatting with you because I'm mad keen to hear about Germany, Jeremy and Jack. Because uh, Jeremy's 30 indeed. and Jack is 26. So go, yes, and, both, are, and both have intellectual disabilities. Living at home? Yeah, indeed they are. Okay, okay. So what makes you happy? Um, well, Anil, it all started with the pandemic and the lockdown and we couldn't take the lads out on a Friday night because the restaurants were closed and we couldn't get takeaway. So I discovered that in the English market, in the O'Sullivan's poultry, the one next to the fountain, they do um, Pat Grace's chicken, they do Murphy's battered sausages, they what? do cheese and onion pies, they do mushy pea pies. What? I never knew that. Well, I'm telling you, it's brilliant. They're a fabulous in there. And so, sure, that was as good as any takeaway or for a Friday night. And they gave the lads a perspective that it was the weekend, you know, because one day went to another when their centres were closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, we called it the Friday Mangle. The Friday Mangle. Mangle, In the English market. Yeah, Friday Mangle, we call it. And we're still having it every Friday now if we don't go out. And sure, we're happy out. It brought us to the end of the week, you know, and here we are now, we're all safe and happy and there was nothing like it. And are you still doing the Friday Mangle? We are, we're still doing it. Oh, Sullivan's Poultry, where is, I should know, I mean, I know all of the the stalls. It's the one next to the fountain, you know, like, 
you have to see it as a bacon one, is across, the, the ham one is across from it, but then the O'Sullivan's is on the corner. I wonder, are they the place where I get my chicken wings? You probably do, it, it has to be, yeah. And you can get Pat Grace's famous fried chicken. And you, you can. You can, you get, can get Murphy's in Blackpool, is it? Chicken, yeah, cheese Murphy's, and onion pies. Uh, yeah, and there are battered sausages and there are mushy pea pies. And they also have burgers as well, the battered burgers. <laughs> so and, they uh, buy them we in from so Murphy's happy. and they buy them we in from Pat so, Grace's. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, lads love, like the lads they love it. The lads love it. Yeah. Happy out, so the, they are, and we call it the Friday Mangle. The highlight of the week. So is there, is there one plan for tomorrow you know, night? Indeed it is. Actually, we was on the phone to them this morning because, well, they know us now. So we uh, rang up this morning and um, they're keeping it because it didn't come in until after 11. So I'm shopping now and I go in and get it in the Ah, minute. that's brilliant. The English market has yeah. all sorts of different things I'm to buy. You, it's brilliant, yeah. And it was our lifesaver because, you know, it was something they, they could look forward to, you know. So... Friday and routine's very important to lads like yours, oh, aren't they? Oh, so yeah. important, yeah. And right, they're back at their day centres now again and they're happy out, but they like to know it's the weekend, you know, and they enjoy it. I love if it. We don't go, I love you it. You know, it's brilliant. I love it, I love it. Now, I, I still have a couple Simple of, en- I still have a couple of envelopes left. I have one on my left hand, one on my right hand. Pick one of the two. In your right hand. My so right hand is dinner for two with wine at the Carrigaline Court Hotel. Oh, Very posh. Very Genie. posh. And we're, we're living in Carrigaline. Are you joking me? We are. We're living in Carrigaline. That's our local. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. That who's, is brilliant. Who's going to go for dinner with wine is totally up to you, Charlotte. <laughs> oh, my husband will come, sure. And sure, the lads will go anyway, so... We just. I listen. Just, I know. I know. I know the people at the Carrigaline Court Hotel. I might be cheeky. So I might well, be. Che- I might be cheeky on your behalf and say, "Listen, I go away." I don't know. I'll see. Will they do it? For no. Me? It's, 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 do you know what? No. It's that brilliant. <laughs> I'm delighted. If I can, I will. But if I can't, it's two of you. Right? So it doesn't matter because they know us. Enjoy it. I'm regular. delighted it's your local and I'm delighted you're in Carrigaline. Is, yeah. that, that's, that's a great stroke of luck. Oh, okay, well, Brilliant. listen, enjoy the Carrigaline Court Hotel, but enjoy Thanks the Friday Mangle tomorrow night from the English Market oh, or O'Sullivan's. Can't be it. And I'd say you've put the idea into other people's head as well, so well done for that. Brilliant. Thanks. All right. All the best. Take care. Good bye. luck to you, bye. all the bye. family, bye. and indeed bye. Uh, bye. to Jeremy and to Jack. That's an interesting thing. Why don't other people do that? Check it out for yourself. Have your own Friday mangle into O'Sullivan's poultry stall. You get yourself the famous fried chicken and the mushy peas and the cheese and onion pies and the battered sausage from Murphy's in Blackpool. I was driving through Blackpool last weekend. And oh no, it was the day I was going up looking at the butter exchange. We did some stuff on the butter exchange. I drove up there on a. Thursday, I think, afternoon. And I drove down into Blackpool after it and Murphy's Chipper was open. And I got, that was, I was that close, that close to pulling in and stopping and getting a bag of chips. Uh, but I talked myself out of it. I regret it now, that's for sure. Anyway, Marie. Okay. Hello. Hi, how are you? How are you? Listen, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? My son. My son, he's, um, he's going under treatment for leukemia, you know, as of the last two years. Oh, but right. He, he wakes up every day with a smile on his face. How old every is he? Day. Five. Little Dennis. He's five years old. Little Dennis, yeah. Five years old. Do you know what he has me doing now, actually? He's me baking a unicorn sprinkle cake for his auntie. Because <laughs> she fell this morning outside the house. And he said we should do something nice for her. A unicorn sponge cake, is it? 
Yeah, well, I bought it in a box, though, to be honest. Ah, your chance, sir. He, well, he'll yeah. think you baked it, though, will he? Oh, he's baking it with me. Leave it done, no. Oh, you, it's what you bought in the box, you just assemble it and cook yeah. it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, listen, the misfortune. He's only, how old did you say, five, is it? Five, yeah. Five years old. And the I treatment for leukemia will be tough. It's tough enough. It's three years. So, um, he, yeah, he's done treatment every day, like, but uh, you'd never think it. He's just the happiest child, I swear to God. He's just the happiest child. He's the excellence of life, you know. And that treatment, is much of it at home or does he have to go to hospital? Uh, he goes to hospital quite regularly, yeah. Um, he'd been there once a month for chemo. He's a lot at home. And then he goes into checkups. And up to, we were in Crumlin yesterday. And he's just happy out. Is, it the, is it the one lad you have? No, I have a daughter as well. All right. Lily, I'm, she's 11. Yeah. yeah. You want to say that Libby makes you happy as well? <laughs> Lily. Oh, she does. Lily. She does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in spite of every, in spite of everything that Dennis is going through, he still wakes up every morning with a smile on his face. Isn't he? he a, isn't he a brave lad? Oh, unbelievable! Unbelievable! He's a very sunshine. So he is. Oh, lovely, lovely. You going on any halls or anything? No, no, we won't now till he's off his treatment and things like that. Cause it's kind of hard flying and stuff, you know. So when the treatment is over, would you be heading off to the sun or a bit? Oh, of... absolutely for a month. <laughs> a month? Where would you? Oh, where would definitely. you go? I don't know, Spain or somewhere or somewhere nice anyway. Well, when you're ready to go to Spain, right? When the treatment is all over and he's strong mm-hmm. enough to go overseas on a family holiday, I've got a 100 euro gift voucher for the Loop at Cork Airport. So you can uh, buy sure. you can buy an awful lot with 100 euro at the Loop. It's all of the what we used to call the duty free stuff and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, that's brilliant. So if you're looking brilliant. forward to a summer holiday or a sun break when Dennis is well enough, a hundred yeah. euro for you for the loop at Cork Airport. All right. Oh, gee, that's brilliant. That's absolutely amazing. Right, Thanks, okay. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow's Friday, so we'll do another few of these stories, actually, just to round off an entire week of what makes you happy. Where's your happy place? Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. OK, thank you, Alan. He won the donuts on Monday and it was his happy place, he says, eating the tray of beauties on Monday. Thanks very much. They were unreal. The nicest donuts I've ever had, he says. Delighted to hear that. We'll have more donuts. Donuts from offbeat donuts on, on Monday. Actually, isn't that a great idea for a business startup? Some sort of a hub uh, for a collection of all the different fabulous chippers or fast food or, can you know, that type of food where you can go to and pick and choose. So a, a hub where you'd have the Murphys or you'd have the Hillbillies or you'd have the KC's food or you, you might have the ramen or you might have the roosters all under one roof and you just go in and you just pick all of them. I think it's a great business idea. Uh, like a takeaway, yeah, a takeaway food biz, a food court, a hub where all of it would be just sitting there. The Friday mangle that Charlotte spoke at at the English market that for me is a super duper idea. In fact, somebody says that lady Charlotte deserved that prize. I'm a friend of hers. She's a fantastic person and a great mother to Jeremy and to Jack. So it's a great idea. Actually, I'm reading a book at the moment that's been written by Limbo. You know, the Limbo um, Health Revolution, Tony Martin and Pat Phelan are behind it. You get the app and we think we'll be putting a couple of people on it for a few months to, you know, to tone up, to lose weight and get healthy. They've written a book where... I'm reading it at the moment. I might get to talk to him about it on the air tomorrow. How it works is, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you can spend your life eating fast food, eating pizza, 
well, maybe not pizza is a good example, but eating, you know, uh, McDonald's food or Burger King's food or KFC's food or, you know, food like that, but that there is a way to eat it and to eat it healthily. That's what the book is about. Now, you do need the proper nutrients in your diet all of the time. You need your greens and you need your roughage, you need your fiber and protein and you need to keep carbs down and fat down and whatever. But the part of the book talks about how you can eat all of their food. It's kind of strange reading it because they're saying they're saying things like, yes, you can eat the burger, but you just don't eat the bun. I'm not quite sure it's the same thing. You can instead order three meat patties, right? Or you could have just the meat. Um, or what a lot of restaurants and burger joints are doing now is you can get an option where instead of the bun with the burger, it's wrapped in lettuce, right? So it's kind of a healthier option. So I was more on that tomorrow. And then I was talking about different price deals that you can get. It's a little bit late now to tell you about week, about uh, January breaks, but it's a good time to go away January because we were talking about Owen Curry earlier on this morning. It reminded me of direct flights from Cork to Faro with Ryanair, two adults, four-star hotel in the Algarve, going out on Friday the 13th, coming back on the 20th, €176 Euro per person. I mean, that's incredible value in January. That was with loveholidays.ie, four-star hotel in the Algarve for a week in January, 176 including flights. And then there was another one to Alicante for two adults, four-star hotel. Um, go out on the 24th, come back on the 28th. Uh, it worked out at 266 euro per person, flights and accommodation. And a couple then that we got from, uh, from midterm, one with Sunway, uh, again, Portugal, Ryanair, two adults, two kids, the Algarve, four-star hotel for the four. 213 euro per person, four-star hotel. This is coming up in midterm, so it could still be available. Or another one then to Albafera that we came across. Again, two adults and two children came in at 224 euro per person. Seven nights in a four-star hotel. You just would not get that in an Irish hotel. You just would be singing and whistling the rest of your life thinking you'd get anything close to it. We looked at um, Killarney, uh, a four-star hotel, um, for the fortnight comparison to Mexico, which was coming in at 3,600. The hotels in Killarney for the same period were coming in at 3,800, 4,000 and 6,500 by comparison. So where they're talking in Portugal and in Spain in hundreds, here in Ireland, they're talking in thousands. Uh, our lines will stay open. You can pick up the phone 0818104106 by text. You can also give us a call 0818104106 and email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.